Hey everybody, we're back for week five of Game of Thrones, Halfway Point. Holy hell, that episode was amazing. Even if you have problems with it, even if there are things you didn't like, you can't deny that it was epic. And you know, sometimes it's hard for us to judge how much people like the episode, especially because we record you know, 12 hours, 16 hours after the episode airs. It's not exactly time to gather everyone's opinion. So we kind of judge it by the general tone on Twitter, Facebook, email, and IMDb, things like that. Well, if it's any indication, not only is this episode one of the most talked about already, it's one of the most emotional, one of the most hard-hitting. If we, Like I said, IMDb is a good sort of halfway point to judge the general tone of people's reactions and IMDb is blown up. It's a 9.8 on IMDb. I thought this was the most boring episode ever. I don't know what all the buzz is about. <laughs> so, we have a lot to talk about and it's so much to talk about we are afraid that this, this, this episode won't cut it. We might not be enough. It's funny, we talk about how can people talk about this episode in, in 10 to 15, 20 minutes? We, we, we do two hours sometimes and, and that's not enough. And we're really... Thinking this time is, is a specific, specifically uh, perfect time to go above two hours. This episode may go over two hours, and we may do another episode on Thursday, depending on how this goes. It's something we're going to play by ear. A good reason to do another episode on Thursday as well would be that there's we can look at that the whole season, well half season as a whole, a whole as a half. <laughs> how does that work? Anyway, we get to talk about the episodes as a whole rather than focus on any particular one. And, of course, I need to mention that this episode is being recorded live. We have people tuning in right now and watching it as it's being recorded. It will, of course, be up on, on YouTube uh, shortly after the recording finishes. So if you weren't able to attend the live recording, well, hey, you're watching it now, whenever that whenever now happens to be. So we have so much to talk about. I'm not going to waste any time with intros or setups or anything more than I've already said. Heck, we've already talked. I've already talked for two and a half minutes, and it feels like I'm just wasting time here. So... Let's go. Let's start with. We'll build our way up to the big moments. We'll start with yeah, Sansa. Slow roll it, huh? Yeah, yeah we'll slow, slow roll. roll. I just said we have to get going. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about Sansa and the Wall first. We'll just we'll dance around the making our way up to the big moments and the the brand stuff, which is obviously what people mostly were wanting to talk about. If the episode finished with it, everybody wants to talk about Hodor and all that. That said, that said. It started off really well. That scene with Sansa was pretty power- powerful. Yeah. with Littlefinger and Sansa. It's just and it just kind of got overshadowed by the epicness. Of yeah, the, it's just like, wait, what else happened in this episode? <laughs> <laughs> At the end, it was like my head was spinning. I'm sure a lot of you, you Earls, were as well. You just, you know, maybe a little sad, maybe a lot sad. That's a certainly a sentiment we're hearing a lot. People were overwhelmed. A lot of people had watched their TV, watched the show, and shall we say, dusty rooms, you know, a little uh, leakage from the eyeballs was happening. Music was really powerful as well. All in all, uh, really powerful. And interestingly enough, this episode was directed by uh, director James Bender, I believe it is. I forget his first name. It's definitely Jack Bender. Jack Bender, I believe it is, who was a director for Lost. And people who were really familiar with Lost noticed perhaps the style, some parallel styles here, things happening on two different chronologies at the same time, that sort of thing. I'm not super familiar with Lost. I quit that show after season three. I know you watched it all. Did you Did you catch some similarities? Or oh, now yeah. That it's been pointed out? It definitely, without spoiling too much, if anyone is still going to watch Lost, they got into some uh, time paradox things. You know, that the island was had some mystical features, and there was this engineer character, and 
I don't get too much detail. Overall, I like Lost, but I feel like it kind of slowly went down. And even in the last season, they were doing some awesome stuff and they're doing some really frustrating stuff. Uh, overall, though, I, I didn't have a lot of problems with the sort of time paradox things that were occurring in Lost. And I can I can imagine it be problematic. And I can I remember the hint. Uh, is that just last episode? A couple no, episodes. Episode three. Episode three, yeah, yeah, when uh, Bran yelled out and Ned seemed to hear him. Yeah, you know mm-hmm. what what the implications of that might be. Still not sure what they might be or how much more it might happen or not happen. Uh, interesting to think about, uh, talk about, speculate on. Lots of other things to parallel it to. I've got my uh, Back to the Future shirt on here. <laughs> At one point I asked what the name of this episode was and uh, The Door was the name yeah. of this episode. I thought mm-hmm. it could be called The Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of, like many other episodes this season, I think this one is really strong thematically. Was, the, a lot of the different scenes paralleled each other in interesting ways. And had some underlying uh, basis that was familiar to both episodes. And there were some things that I thought that were happening in the show elsewhere that they didn't touch on that I think parallels nicely with what we saw in this episode as well. So we'll talk about some of those things. But yeah, let's get into Sansa and Brienne and Littlefinger and John and all the stuff happening at the wall. We get Sansa confronting Littlefinger and that's a pretty strong moment. She has a bit of the dilemma though, doesn't she? She's doesn't really want to accept the Vale's help, but it seems like she kind of needs it. You know, maybe they're talking, they have this plan to to get all these other Northerners together. And Sansa's confident that they'll help because of what her father told her about the loyalty of Northerners. But we've seen how her father, maybe Ned, maybe believe too much in people upholding the honorable. And maybe Sansa's maybe falling in that same trap early on. She's not making the same mistake, but... She's listening to her father's advice, and Davos and Brienne and uh, others are pointing out, well, maybe maybe this isn't what you think it is. Maybe, and, and, you know, they were respectful, and Davos was like, well, yeah, you know the North better than me, but I know men, and, you know, they didn't stand up for you before. Yeah. So it's a, it was a good scene, I thought. And um, One, I, I appreciated this sort of, like, tough moment for Sansa to kind of, like, account for what's happened to her. And kind of put it to Littlefinger. And yeah. it's something I remember us talking about in a fast in a past. Littlefinger seems he's a master of uh he's a master coin. Varus is master whispers. But he seemed to be competing with Varus <laughs> <laughs> for intelligence, you <laughs> yeah, know. Yeah. Uh, and it's I remember being kind of puzzled that that Littlefinger wouldn't know the nature of Ramsey. And we talked about reasons why he may or may not, how Re- Ramsey may have been the bastard son of a secondary lord way in the north. I mean, not on Littlefinger's radar, but it still seems like Ramsay's crazy enough that he would have known. And Does he know? Is he willing to risk Sansa? How much does he really care about Sansa versus his maneuvering for power? We've also talked in the past about how Littlefinger seems prepared. He's he's kind of like a lawyer. You know, you see these <laughs> ball TV shows where there's all this jaw drop moment where the witness oh oh my god and the lawyer's like i need a recess you know that never happens the lawyers they're prepared for everything in court they know all the things that are going to be said all the things that might happen have responses to it all there's no like bombs dropped in court i mean i should say never but there's thousands of court cases every day and maybe one or two a decade is there a surprise (laughs) in a court case and i feel like Littlefinger is a lawyer he's thought this out he knows the players he knows the games he knows his next move he knows that if he needs Royce, 
and Robin wants to throw him through the moon door, he can convince Robin not to. He knows that if... If he wants to have him thrown through the moon if door, he, he wants can to throw him through the moon, that, moon yeah. door, he can get Robin to do it. He, he can make him do that and make him think like make it think right. Robin's idea. Yeah. He knows how mm-hmm. to lead people where he wants them. He knows how they're going to respond. He knows the characters and the players and how to manipulate. But I felt for once... I was I wasn't sure. I wasn't yeah. sure if he knew how to handle that. I don't know. I, I felt like he wasn't really ready for this. At one point, he says, "I'm so sorry." That's like what you say when your <laughs> wife catches you cheating, or you know, it's not what you say. <laughs> it it's doesn't part matter. Of this, yeah, it's right, like the apology is almost plot, like nothing, you know what yeah. I mean. Like Littlefinger should do better <laughs> than that. You know what I mean? I think he might have either been caught off guard by how assertive uh, Sansa was there, or genuinely was surprised at how bad Ramsay was and felt some guilt and was trying to find some way to reconcile. He may I, have felt stupid. He may have like, oh, yeah, I really did screw up. And he may have bothered him. He's like, I don't screw up. I don't make these kind of mistakes. Yeah. Now that said, he might still be manipulating. What else is he going to say there? You know what I mean? So, yeah, Aiden, I knew how bad he was, so yeah. I sent him to you. But, of course, the actor, Aiden Gilded, said to say, uh, at least, you know, you never. sometimes the actors misinterpret things or intentionally mislead us but Aiden Gillen the actor playing Littlefinger did confirm as much as you can confirm these things that he was there was a mistake he's not lying about it being a mistake now of course like we said in the last episode it doesn't matter whether he really did or not it's what what matters I mean it does in a way but what matters to Sansa is whether she whether she believes it and she doesn't seem to believe she doesn't want to believe anything he says at this point yeah I I can imagine at this particular point it doesn't matter if, if she knew if the Lord of Light came out of the sky and told her, Littlefinger just messed up. He wasn't, he didn't know that. She's still mad. She's still been wrong. She's still physically hurt. That was, again, I really appreciated her pushing him. This isn't, I'm not asking you some generic question. I want an answer. I'm putting you to the wall. Brian's going to pull his sword out. (laughs) You know, like. uh, You can't intellectualize that. You can't be like, how does that feel? What would that be like? Like, I don't, I don't know. You can't know what that would be like. You can't know what it's like to be like basically tortured and raped every night you know and by someone who murdered helped murder your family like yeah. no one can really understand what that's like and Littlefinger can't be like oh i know it's i know what you're going through yeah, like he, i know what you're like no you don't there's no apology <laughs> there's no amends that can be made there's you know little finger he's used lucky to she didn't just have him struck down he said about everything he could say to not get himself struck down and, yeah but uh Littlefinger's used to being able to talk his way out of things but that's just a situation he can't Talk your way out of it. Yeah. Like, he managed... He got out of there with his life. You yeah. know, so that's something. He didn't... He, I don't think Santa was really going to just execute him on the spot. But she just wanted to show him... I think she wanted to show him what it was like to be powerless for a minute there. To be like, look, I have you... I have total control over you right now. I want you to feel at least a smidgen of the helplessness I felt. That's as much as she could do at that moment. I even wonder how much she was actively wanting to show him something. She was just expressing herself. And maybe there was some design behind it. But, uh, but one way or the other, you see her... Again, kind of coming into her own, she kind of asserted herself to John. She's asserting herself to Littlefinger. And even if it's just a natural maturing and not an act of planning, it's still, I think, interesting for her character, who's been yeah. one of my favorite characters all along. I've said this many times, as long as you're talking about Sansa, I want to say that I mm-hmm. felt like for most of the show, like kind of if you kind of take a step back, the big picture, you've had these Stark kids that all kind of had this idea of what they wanted. John wants to join the wall. Yeah. Rob wants mm-hmm. to be the heir. You know, mm-hmm. Bran wants to go on adventures. Arya doesn't want to be the little princess. Sansa wants to be the little princess. One way or the other, 
they're all kind of getting what they wanted. They're just too naive to realize what that meant. It's not all it was cracked up to be. Being a princess is, is going to be really rough. Yeah, and right, and it when, could be mean marrying off to somebody that that is horrible. Yeah. That is often the fate of a princess. And uh, I mean, even if you think you know someone, you're in love with them, and you get married three years later, like what was I thinking? Because marrying <laughs> some punk kid, you know nothing about. Uh, aside from that, though, what I'm pointing out is that when shit started to hit the fan for these different characters. They at least had a sword and a horse and the ability to ride out and face their enemies. Yeah. Sansa was being held prisoner. Even Arya, you know, she still had a sword. All these different characters. Rob was leading an army. All these other characters, however bad they had it, however much they suffered, however much, however lonely they were, or however much power they had lost, they still had a certain amount of agency and liberty to take action where Sansa's success... John's success was to, like, become Lord commander of the wall, you know? Rob's success was to defeat armies in the battlefield. Sansa's, Sansa's success is to not get raped. That's her... <laughs> say, on a daily basis, that's her success, is to not be tortured to, and raped. Yeah, to not have Joffrey beat her, to not have Ramsay... Yeah. <laughs> and so to see her finally able to take action and do it it's for me it's exciting I, yeah, i'm it's really good, happy to see sansa's character it's a good balance yeah people have been waiting for her to to gain agency sort of like the way danny did danny did it quicker and you know yeah. because of circumstances not because danny's like better i'm continuing to have dragons that helps a lot but yeah. <laughs> it makes people think whoa she's really special she didn't know? marry some punk kid she married the most powerful warlord in the continent you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah like, yeah that was a little different uh, but it's the same kind of thing where they have to struggle to escape the fact that they're surrounded by a patriarchal society that just, just yeah. puts them in these holes and, and she wasn't exactly raised to, to wield a sword, you know. Um, so, yeah, it, it's really good. The acting was really powerful there, too. And Sansa's, like, she really like, delivered those lines really powerfully. And I thought the menace of Brienne standing there really gave a lot of weight. It's like, see what it's like? It's like, I'm just a talker like you, but I've got a sword right now and you yeah. don't, you know, and that's you know, <laughs> that's the big difference. And then we get to this planning scene. Which I think is yeah. really interesting as well. Uh, I think that this is a bit of a, a setup. You know, Brienne, of course, quizzed Sansa, saying, "Why did you lie to John?" And it shows that there's a little bit, and this is backed up by what the showrunners say. By the way, as usual, folks, at the end of this episode, we will discuss things from the next on, as always, after the credits. So. We'll be doing that as per usual. Maybe. Maybe we'll say that till Thursday? No, we'll still do All it. Right. But we will maybe do the same on Thursday and, and do a, a elaborate more for, for what's coming. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll elaborate more on that. I will say every week, within 24 hours after doing the podcast, like, oh, what about this? I didn't think of that. This is something that could happen. <laughs> Through the week, my mind just keeps stirring over all this. Yeah, it's about time we, we, uh, we, we, built, we, we built up a lot of those. We also have a lot of user email, user, e listener, watcher emails. And comments that we have not had time to respond to, but we can bring some of those up as well on Thursday. So that, that's stepping up to be what we'll do. We'll handle questions and talk about things as a whole. And that will still involve discussing what's to come because we have trailer scenes that haven't happened yet that we haven't discussed in the non-spoilery part of each of these episodes as we go through. So anyway, but back to Sansa and Brienne and John and everyone. It does seem like they're setting up, uh, and the showrunners, like I said, the showrunners backed up this this point that Sansa... Is she's even though she's trying to break free of Littlefinger and pretty much has at least for now, she still thinks a little bit like it because she's still she he's still his way of thinking is still kind of what she's learned from. She, yeah. And so she's not very trustworthy. She's not not saying I was about to say she's not very trustworthy. I meant to say she's not very trusting. 
she's she's reunited with John and she loves him, and that's the one thing Littlefinger drops the hint on. He's like, well, look, it's nothing to do with me. But hey, he's your half brother, and yeah. it's his arm. You know, he's still trying to manipulate her, just even with his parting words. He's still, and it seems to work. Like I don't know if that comment is what made her lie, but she did. She lied about where, and I think it's because. She's still got little, she's, she's coming into her own a little bit, but this is just the beginning. She's just breaking free. She's just getting, figuring out what it's like to be a leader. She's just now have, has authority and, but she still, you know, doesn't want to, she doesn't want a little finger to be part of that. Bringing him into the mix would be like taking a step back almost, but she's got to, I think she's going to have to see the, the, the military reality of the situation, which is that they're, it's going to be hard to do what she wants to do without the veil knights. Yeah. And and that, that, I think that's why she lied. Because she doesn't want Littlefinger involved, not to, not because she doesn't trust John. Although there might be a hint of that. There's, there's a million things I liked about this scene. I got a lot to say. Uh, Go for it. One is okay. Let's back up a little bit. Remember when John and Sansa are first reunited? We kind of realized, wow, they haven't even. It's been like years, both as characters and viewers, since we've yeah, seen them five together. And even when years. we did see them together, <laughs> it was like a flash of a scene. I don't think they ever spoke of a word. It was still a talk. very emotional, powerful moment. But remember also. Not having to stretch so far back, just this season when uh, Rian showed up at the wall with Sansa, I took note that they we weren't seeing Melisandre and Sansa in the same scene. Certain certain groups of characters were kind of separated. Maybe there just wasn't time for. It. Maybe it was by some design, I don't know. But here we have in the same room, Sansa, Rian, Melisandre, Davos, John. And, Tormund and Ed <laughs> and and Ed yeah. quite the collection of characters something I like about this show again going back to the beginning you have these, this stark family and it kind of scatter to the wind and it happens a lot with other characters and I and I kind of assume other viewers are kind of waiting for these moments of reunition reuniting <laughs> moments of reuniting reunions uh, and this is quite a big one this is uh, lots of characters who've never interacted before or haven't interacted in a long time from far apart lands coming together, yeah. very different backgrounds with a common motivation and in the same room at the same moment. It was an exciting moment for me. Kind of like it's, it's funny because Mel Sonder had nothing to say. She didn't say yeah. a word in that scene. And it's yeah. almost like that almost fits. It's almost like on one hand, it's like, how can they fit more dialogue in here? There's yeah. so much that needs to be said. Just like, you have so much to say about this. What would Mel Sonder say? And I think I know we all know what Mel Sonder would say. She'd be like, yeah, just, you know, just take care of this as quickly as possible. The real war is up there, you know? Yeah. And yeah. that's that's always what she's been focused on. So that kind of that kind of fits that she also, didn't have much to say. To be fair, uh, oftentimes she is, or in the past, she's been a little bit more definitively in power. She's been a little more clearly like the number two after Stannis. Yeah. It's not completely clear right now whether or not people accept her. She even herself maybe questions whether mm-hmm. she should be number two. She doesn't have the same sort of confidence and assertiveness yeah. and uh, position that she's had in the past. So it makes sense for her if she is wise, which she seems to be. Sit back, absorb, wait till she has something meaningful to contribute. She has to prove her value. Like, yeah. we, we don't see it happen because we, to, we're introduced to Stannis right away the way we yeah. were. But you got to assume that, especially because of how much Melisandre was in with, with uh, Solis, Stannis' wife. That And this is my, very mild book spoiler, how we're told. It plays out kind of gradually. You know, like, mm-hmm. she comes over, she wins over Solis. And then she wins over Stannis. It's a gradual, like, showing who she is. Like, because Stannis is, you know, he's a bit of a prove-it kind of guy. And over time, Melisandre proved it. She showed she had real power. And that's what Stannis yeah. eventually said. He's like, well, she has real power. I don't know. I don't believe in the gods. I don't know what about whether gods are real or not. But that woman has power, period. So that's that. You know, yeah. that she's proven it. So 
I think that's going to be the same thing. She's going to have to prove her value to Sansa, to John, to whoever, in order for them to accept her. And you're right. It's, it's smart of her. And she's old enough to know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to know that she needs to be a little patient. As much as a zealot and as a, you know, enthusiastic zealot she is, she knows she's still got some wisdom in there. She doesn't look a day over 192. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of cool. I'm getting ahead of myself. It's kind of cool that the uh, Kinvara, the other red priest, have the same necklace. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of neat. They wanted to, I think they just wanted to show the familiarity of the two. Maybe even get you to wonder, how old is this woman? How much does absolutely. she know? You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Very good. Very She's good not point. some young seductress trying to, you know, tempt uh She's scary Vars, as hell is what she between was. Between her legs or whatever, yeah. you know. She's got some some true wisdom. That would be a waste with Varus anyway, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> not with Tyrion. <laughs> not with Tyrion. That's a good method for Tyrion, yeah. <laughs> Try seducing the little guy. Don't worry about the, uh, the bald guy. He's not going to be interested. Okay, so more about this scene, though. I think there's still a few other things to see. We get still more of the great humor, the, the great uh, facial acting yeah. of Brienne and uh, Tormund. Tormund yeah. does his... <laughs> it's all, it's so funny. It's just like the greatest it, comic relief. So far, Brienne she's like to be like she's borderline little, disgusted almost, with him. Yeah, but I wonder how much that's some combination of like a defense mechanism. Uh, she's not comfortable with it. She's not used to having someone attracted to her. She doesn't know quite how to respond to this. Yeah, I, and she's suspicious of people attracted to her. True, because, because of what happened yeah, in the past with the story. whole trick. Yeah, about how they pre- pretended to be interested. So she's probably just in general. It's a it's a sore spot for she's, her. She's she has a mo- she has trauma. She's, like yeah, she's romantically immature. Yeah, she you has. Know, when yeah, you're she, a kid, girls are icky. You know what I mean. But eventually, she like, almost has a romantic PST, PTSD. PTSD. Yeah, <laughs> because of what happened. Yeah, because of all that stuff before. So Sansa probably has that too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. She has she has physical PTSD. Mm. Is God, I can't say it right. It's just a, it's just four letters. Why can't I say it? <laughs> Uh, okay, so what else we have in the scene, though? Uh, Ed now is Lord Commander, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and he doesn't really realize it. We we were saying it for a while, like, "Hey, Ed looks like he's de facto Lord Commander." Another good point there, though. It's not really out outwardly said, but it is something that we we spoke on. I, actually, I don't remember if I mentioned this in our episode or in Book to Show on Wednesday, but it's not a book topic, so I can say it either way. And that is, I predicted that some sort of compromise will be made with Ed. Ed was like, what? You're leaving. You know what's out there. You can't, you know, we can't do that. And John says, at the beginning of the the strategic meeting, he says, White Walker, we can't hold the wall against the Walkers and fight the Boltons in the South. So it's, to me, it sounds like they off screen reach some kind of accord because John also says, like, don't blow this whole thing up while I'm gone. Which he's, that says pretty clearly, I'm coming back. There's an intention to come back. Right. Yeah. So that's really big. That was important. Like, so he, so Ed doesn't have to feel abandoned. He's like, okay, go save your family, get the North in order. They are threatening us after all, so okay, get, yeah. go take care of this and get your ass back here. We got White Walkers to face. <laughs> Apparently, only three of them left now, but they're still they're they're nasty. <laughs> they have that huge <laughs> army of the dead, so that's still on. Three left that we know. We're not sure how many we've seen, like this group of seven or whatever together. Uh, yeah. but it's possible that there's fourteen or a hundred. Yeah, there could be others or, in the somewhere in the reserves somewhere. Yeah. They're off doing missions elsewhere, you know. Mm-hmm. But no, but in any case. We're uh, getting ahead of ourselves there. Uh, what else do we have? The other thing is that John is become. This is this is more of a visual kind of underlying thing. John is be- looking like Ned. John has his hair like Ned did. Yeah, yeah. With the ponytail, the little mini ponytail, and the hair back. And then Santa makes him the the, the wolf thing, whatever yeah. the the 
shoulder mantle thing. And it's like, whoa, he's really looking like Ned. They're really trying to play up the he's Ned's son thing, which may I, or may I not even, be true. I uh, particularly took note of it because I, th- I thought it was kind of odd that Melisandre cut his hair in the Resurrection, <laughs> and now it's in a ponytail. What is it? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently she didn't cut it that much. But yeah. yeah. Uh, one other quick thought I wanted to have about the uh, strategic planning here. Yeah, we didn't even talk about uh, River Run. Yeah, the Blackfish, which is another thing I was a little excited about. Speaking of re- reunions, that's a character I keep writing in my notes every time. Kind of Where's waiting. the Blackfish? Where's you know, the Blackfish? Walter Frey, Blackfish, and, you know, Balon came back. You know, I was like, oh. Just for but, a uh, second. By the way, minor note, uh, in my notes in the past, uh, in the past this wasn't something I was doing. Coming up to this season, but leaving last season, coming to this season. Whenever each episode starts, I like, I write out all the characters on a piece of paper. I kind of do them geographically. So I kind of follow what's going on, make notes, just my little system for this. And uh, at the end of last season, there was a, a bit of question about whether or not certain characters were still going to be alive the next season. Yeah, know? yeah. Always Stannis sure. and Sansa. For the next and minute. So <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of times going to the next season, there's not very, it's not very cliffhangery. You know what I mean? I oh, think sure, the end sure. of last season was particularly cliffhangery. Yes. And so when the season started, I still had all these names written out. And as it became clear, I was like, all right. I had to put an X through Stannis. <laughs> and as this season's gone, I had to put a lot of X's through characters. Jesus, I didn't it's think really it was going to keep happening it's every really episode getting trimmed like down, yeah. yeah. Something we talked about offline before this was talking about how each season has a pattern of sort of setting things up and exciting things happen during the setup. And then there's resolution, and that tends to be where the, the more popular episodes come. This season, the first five episodes of three episodes are rated above nine on IMDb, which is unprecedented. Even season one didn't do that well. This is because I think the the setups are as epic as the the payoffs in previous seasons. You know, because yeah. there's so much happening. Well, like you said, this is we have these are setup moments, and like major characters are dying during setup moments. It's uh, even at this point when we're, I guess, closing in toward the end. I feel like we're at least three quarters through, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, they're still introducing new characters. We think Euron's coming up, and there's still new things bringing uh coming forth right yeah and so when it first started you know we there was we didn't stannis wasn't a character you know that so many characters weren't even characters in the first season and they just keep layering more and more on and generally in a season you're kind of building up through the season to these climactic moments toward the end but as they keep adding in new layers of story and depth and character there's not going to be this tidy build up to the end of a season. The beginning of a season, as we've seen, is going to have what you might have thought of as climactic earlier on. And it's yeah. uh, it's really thick. It's uh, I think it's part of why it's so popular and why I like it so much because there's so much going Even if the Dorn stuff is stupid, okay, fine. But that's like 10% of the show. The other 90% is so awesome. That, there's so yeah. many other things going <laughs> on. Even if you only like the King's Landing storyline, well, that's enough to keep up with the show, you know? Totally. And and his other thing is that from a meta perspective, endings on TV shows, typically there's that's often the weakest part. Not, yeah. We're not necessarily to the end, but we're getting close to it. And the fact that this season is doing so well... It it makes me feel good because it's it's a little it's a little considering the history of TV endings TV show endings being kind of poor I this makes me feel better about how you know like the likelihood of this show ending well like doing Wait, a good job with the ending is he hold on it's it's gonna end <laughs> well, hold on. Game of Thrones never whoa, 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 whoa. ends <laughs> <laughs> all right so tangent tangent I was trying to say is even if it all works out there are ideas like hey look at all these other houses in the north right yeah. going back to this planning moment with all the characters together sure. in the, at the wall. It's one thing 
let's just say you can get them all to agree. Let's say they're like, yeah, fuck the Boltons. Let's go House Stark, right? All right, well, now you still have to get them all together. They have to, like, the men have to leave their farms and their castles and get their horses together. They've been through war already. They have to it's, follow a common leader. It's still going to be a logistical challenge. And look at all the snow. It's winter. Right, yeah. It's the bad timing. Yeah. Littlefinger's right there with his men ready to go. How they're can not you, yeah. his men either. They're, I mean, they're, so, he's, sort of, too, they're yeah. sort, he's sort of controlling them because he controls Sweet Robin. But maybe if Sansa can get her, wrap her head around the fact that they're not actually, it's not actually Littlefinger's army. Maybe that'll help her except... Except it, it's yeah. nice to veil supporting House Stark, not Littlefinger helping her. Right, and if she's, and that's what rulers do. A lot of times she's coming if she's going to learn to play the game, she's got to do what she's got to do to make the, get that end result. It is yeah. about the end result in this case because there's just too much, too much at stake. You can't be too process-oriented when you have the, the lives of so many people are at stake plus the, the White Walkers are coming you gotta, you gotta cut some corners, you know, moral corners. You gotta cut. You can't afford to just be, to do, be upright about every single decision because there's just Stannis hired the mercenaries. Yeah. yeah, burned his daughter. You know, <laughs> <laughs> there's that. You know, oh, that, there's just that. Also, you know, some yeah. people go farther than others. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was that? What's that? Uh, what is? What's that you're drinking there? It looks like you've got something green. It looks a little like. Blended children of the forest. <laughs> this is the uh, one of the naked drinks, the green oh, okay. machine. It's got it's got everything from apple juice to kale in it, and I mix them out and do in it to give it some extra sweetness <laughs> and some carbonation. <laughs> I do what I want. Sean <laughs> does what he wants. That's right. You got. I've got a mashup shirt, so why not? You have a mashup drink. I've got Star hey. Wars and, and I Song of Ice and Fire. Game of Thrones combined. This is Game of Thrones and I Song of Ice and Fire. This Night's King is this image of Night's King is not in the books as far as far as we know. Not to this point, anyway. Maybe he'll appear later. If it's in your mind. Spoilers! Yeah. <laughs> no, I said this version. I didn't say, you know, he just doesn't look like this. That's all. Um, okay. Okay, was that a break? Are we done? That was a break. Yeah, that was a break. Right. I'll fit a, we'll fit something in there. Um, so, yeah. So, finally, we'll, we get to hear about River Run. Uh, I think Santa's, this is a little bit of naivete on her part, although it seems like everybody else just goes along with it. Maybe uh, maybe this is how the showrunners are, are, are going with it. But River Run, he just took it back. It's not like that's the end of it, you know. I don't think he has men he can send yeah. out. Like he's got, he's gonna have the, the King's Landing is gonna be react to this. Of course, they're busy right now, but but a response will come. I don't think he can afford to send men north. Maybe he can. I don't know how many men he has, but it doesn't seem like he's gonna be able to. He's gonna, he's got a lot to deal with, like the Lannisters and the yeah. The, Walter Frey is gonna come for him. I mean, all he's got. Like, how is he gonna hold out? I don't know. It doesn't seem like he can afford to send men north. I could be wrong, but that's my guess right now. That's not going to work out the way they want it to. Maybe it will, yeah. though, because maybe other circumstances will change. Like, maybe the King's Landing situation is going to be such a disaster for the Tyrells and Lannisters that they will just be powerless to, to reach out and stop the Tullys from doing their thing. Yeah, on one hand, I think a lot of times the show with a line of dialogue can just address a problem. And maybe that's all they're doing is, all right, I... Uh, Blackfish took it back. There, you know, done with that. <laughs> but maybe if you more savvy viewers kind of think about what that means, logistics behind that, like, uh, he might have taken it back, but not much to take back. They're already ravaged by war, and he probably lost more taking it back, and the, the Lannisters slash Freys aren't probably just going to be like, oh, whatever, he can have it. You know what I mean? There's probably more to that. Uh, but here's a thing I wonder that might get tied in. Mira, up in the north, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we, Bran sees her father, Howland Reed, with Ned there. I yeah. kind of expect this to kind of Kind of fruition. I, I'm kind of expecting Helen Reed to appear as a character. Where is he from? The Neck. Where is the Neck? Where? Isn't that part of the Riverlands? 
It's between the Riverlands and the North. It's the little connecting part piece. Okay. Yeah. All right. So yeah. Yeah. it's where it's it's yeah it's Moat Kalen. And that's where the, of course that's where the Vale Army is right now. That Littlefinger brought. That's where they're sitting. Like right right in that area. Yeah. Apparently. I mean, assuming he's telling the truth, yeah. <laughs> which yeah. I think he is, because he said that uh, time to yeah. deploy the Vale Knights. Like I, I have no reason to think he's lying about the soldiers being there. That would be a pretty big whopper. It's like yeah, bring your knights up. Oh, actually, about that, I don't actually have any knights. Sorry, I was just as a, as a bluff. I didn't think uh... it's. Also possible he's lying about River Run entirely, but that seems unlikely too. Like uh, I think that really happened. What would his motivation be? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What is? I mean, it's Littlefinger. He who knows what his motivations are. But I yeah. agree. I, I think that's unlikely to be a lie. I think that's probably true. But it's worth considering the tiny chance that it's somehow a lie because anything he says, you probably should consider the possibility. Yourself. It would also be extra risky because if Sansa did have some insight and caught him in a lie, like he would have just been cut down by yeah, Brienne, another right? lie. So, yeah, 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 that's true. That's a good point. That's a good point. Um, so, yeah, and you figure maybe Brendan Blackfish will, if if it's true, he will start to make it known. He could send out some ravens and be like, hey, Tully's back in play, y'all, you know, <laughs> sending just to his allies, of course. You know, I'm sure there'd be other Riverlanders he'd want to rouse or maybe send a letter to the north. Who knows? But he's probably not just going to be like, sneak, I took, I took River Run. Let's hope nobody finds out. You remember how <laughs> when, uh, I just thought of this, I wanted to say it earlier, when, uh, when uh, John kind of made his, you know, he, Hung the the traitors. Hang, when he, when he hanged the traitors, uh, and uh, you know gave out gave his jacket to Ed. I'm out of here. My watch is over, and I wanted him to to drop a mic. You know, so someone made some art. Someone uh, I don't know who who where where could someone see that? Is that a is that posted somewhere? Uh, I'm thinking a few people have done that. I'm not sure. All right, all right. Well, I hope they're getting credit for it. But yeah, anyway, I wanted I want Sansa dropping a mic as she leaves Littlefinger there. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather see her drop his head. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I guess we'll have to wait for that. I'd rather see her drop Ramsey's head. Yeah, that too. Let's let's get them both. Put them both on a pike next to each other, yeah. facing each other. <laughs> <laughs> Kiss him. <laughs> Maybe they'll end up as whites. We'll see them. I, I was homo, you know, like again, I'm getting ahead of myself. I was kind of half expecting to see a familiar face in the undead army there where Brand's yeah, walking they, through. Like they could have had this, like, isn't that a. The woman, uh, the wildling woman from uh, yeah, from Hong yeah. Kong. They would have had to bring. She's actually a known actress. They would have had to hire her for that. Just that part, and that would have been kind of would have been worth it. Yeah, it would have been. But get on it, HBO. <laughs> yeah, redo that episode for that one scene. Okay, I guess we should move on now. That's that's a good time. Yeah, if there's more to talk about about this plot line, we'll we again we'll we'll cover it on Thursday. Send in your questions and comments on that. We'll get to them then. We will. As it's shaping up to be, we're going to do our coverage this episode and, and handle a lot of questions on Thursday. I think that's what we're going to do. We're, uh, as this episode goes on, goes, we were planning out our Thursday episode in you know a long line along with it. So talking through helps to figure out plans. So let's talk about let's talk about Arya. So we go from Sansa to Arya. That's a good good little transition. Yeah. Stay with the Stark girls, especially because the Stark girls, the other Stark girl, is represented in this scene by an actress, which I think was really cool. A little very meta scene, and there's a lot of underlying stuff going on here, and it's very painful, both for Arya and as this viewer seeing what you suspect is is are we seeing in this play the way the characters are portrayed? Is that what most people think in in the story? You know, is that what most yeah, Westerosi yeah. and Bravosi and Pentashi and all these others, is that what they think? Is that their perspective? It's like, oh man, they think Ned is this bumbling, corrupt throne stealer. And Joffrey has tried to stop the execution and yeah. was so sad about his father. And he's like, really? And man. a Tyrion manipulated to cause Ned to be killed. And say, It was yeah. subtle. I didn't catch it the first time, but Tyrion 
gives money to the the, the executioner Ellen Payne, I guess. Yeah, to to kill. Yeah. And when Joffrey's like, oh well, yeah, Sansa, we'll we'll spare him, and then Tyrion pays him, and then he chops off the head. And Everyone blames Joffrey's. Yeah. Tyrion, Ned blame for all the bad things. Yeah. Robert was just this good kind of you know he wasn't good, but he was inept. You know, yeah. bumbling, but not a bad guy. Joffrey's his hero. Tyrion's the evil counselor. Ned's the evil usurper. Cersei's this nice, you know, like, like upstanding wise woman. Like, what? <laughs> this is a, a little bit of an aside, but I saw this documentary series. You saw at least part of it with me. It's called Barbarians. Yeah. And it was basically some new evidence has been unearthed recently. Uh, some archaeological finds across Europe to kind of give us a different perspective of history. And the idea that they were posing was that these barbarians that Caesar and the Romans were conquering, they were actually pretty civilized. They had yeah. systems of trade and courts and women in charge and written laws and so on that they weren't just these savages out in the woods yeah, just eating the, each other alive, you know? And that Victor, they, Victor's write the history. Exactly. And that was what, the, what was sort of posed by this documentary was that Rome's greatest success was you know, greatest victory or whatever, was they got to write the history, you know. Caesar, it wasn't even very, very uh, uh, brave, courageous, or glamorous. Like, oftentimes, they just starved them out. They just, like, surrounded a city and just starved them to death. And then Caesar would take all their gold and go back to Rome and say, we conquered the barbarians! Whoa! <laughs> Look at me, you know. Yeah, so, it's kind of similar. I agree. That's a good parallel. You can imagine uh, how Cersei and the Lannisters, with, with, with their influence and their money, and they're the ones in charge, yep. how the story's going to play out. It, like, which person is going to be like, oh, man, we shouldn't have screwed Ned over. He was a really great guy. Like, who? what person is going to speak that to the public? You know, how who, how many people in King's Landing where the story would spread even know who Ned Stark is? You know, some of them should know Joffrey's a little shit, though. You know what I mean? Like, on some level, there's this play can't be all there is to it. You would think. You would hope, right? No, in Bra- this is in Bravos overseas. You know, maybe, like, you can't expect these people to necessarily yeah. know. Maybe in Westeros, maybe it would go differently. People would Although, like, hey. maybe anyone who would dare to write a play like that, mountains smash their head against the wall. So, what happened? That, that, <laughs> in fact, that, tongue was, cut out. that was addressed. Yeah, the, jo- the singer, yeah. that, that Joffrey had his tongue cut out. Like, yeah. You can have your hands or your tongue. You know, it was a, his song was anti-Lannister, so he paid the price for it. Well, anti-Baratheon, I suppose. It was both. Anyway, <laughs> there's more here, and I think that this, of course, we started by talking about the play, but this was set up by the Waif accusing her of being Lady Stark. And so this was a perfect test. They send her to this play where it's her family loyalty is the major thing that's being, she's yeah. struggling through seeing her family portrayed this way. And is like, and Jake even says, she makes a good point. She yeah. says, you're Lady Stark, she makes a good point, you know, saying... Uh, or, she, or she has a point. You know, he's the way he says it. Like, where are you? Know, are you are you one of us? You know, you won't be one of us. It's hard to become one of us when you have. It's easier. It's almost easier to leave your family and become no one when your family when you're, was kind of. I don't want to be denigrate. You know, poor people, but like nothing, yeah. so to speak. You're closer to no one in the first place. Yeah. And, right. A, not only is it new to them apparently to take on someone of nobility. Yeah. But it's probably also tougher. Like. You're just going to be recognized, you know, like you really, it's really, really important for you to abandon who you were. And as much as she claims she is, as much as she might want to be, whether or not, I still kind of wonder how much she's trying to play the game they're presenting her, but still she knows she's going to go get Needle eventually. <laughs> yep. <laughs> or if she's really, you know, trying to, to buy into this. But clearly she's still not just a girl. She was emotionally distraught watching this play. play yes. Out. Yeah, she was. At first she was laughing and then she just was looking like, everyone's laughing. And she was just, her face just went was a mash of 
various conflicting emotions. Well, not really conflicting. They were just very various negative emotions. Like she was sad. She couldn't. She was stunned. She couldn't believe. She you know it was a whole bunch of different realities uh, being. Con- she was confronted with at once. I'll say conflicting too. I think there was a streak of restraint in there. I think she okay, wanted to sure. yell out. That's not true. That's not. An- I was there. Okay, I agree with that. You know, yeah, like, yeah. I think she was. All those things you said, but I think conflicted also, you know. Yeah. And so I wonder, in that sense, maybe she didn't pass the test in that regard. I mean, she's. I, I, it seems like she's going to go through with the assassination. It, you know, she had some reservations, but it's just showing us that she, her identity, it's, she's, she won't conform. She didn't conform to what her father wanted from her. She didn't conform to what anyone wanted from her. And even though she, she wants what they're offering because she wants to, she wants to f- succeed. She doesn't want to be a failure. But she, her heart isn't fully in it. You know, she's still, it's partly in it for sure. But she's still, like you said, she's still got that stark identity. And even the other faceless men realize this. But yeah. they're putting her to the test. She's like, look, one way or another, a face is going up here. <laughs> and it's, that was kind of ominous. I mean, I, I, none of us really expect that she's going to fail to to the to the point that they kill her. You know, that would just be like, whoa, Arya just dies. That's holy crap. So... I don't think her arc is going to go that way. I still think she's going to wind up in Westeros. And maybe... But her she's being told... There's another meta here. She's being told to assassinate someone who's playing Cersei. Yeah. Cersei's yeah. on her list. That's just like, hmm, whoa, yeah. what's going on there? Is that who's actually next? Is she actually going to go after Cersei? Or is Cersei just going to die before she even gets the chance? Let's say she is. Like, what's the... What's the motivation of the House of Black and White to kill Cersei? someone? The, the price has been paid, just like yeah. you know he says yeah. there. Like, why is she being killed? Is this other like, like the price which, is paid? It doesn't matter. Servants don't ask questions. Which you know? person do you suppose would pay the price to kill Cersei? I have no. I mean, there are certainly many people, but who? Most of the people I can think of would have enough wealth that they. It would be like like if. I don't know, Ilaria Sand wanted to do it. She give she have to give away two thirds of Dorne's wealth to the House of Black and White in order to have Cersei kill? Like Yeah. Hey, with two thirds of Dorne's wealth, you can probably just do it yourself. <laughs> well, I think that's part of the, the system. I think that fits in like with the theme of the faceless men and who they are. She he goes through their history a bit and says that Bravos was founded by the faceless men. Because they're the escape they're the escapes. We've we've always been told that Bravos was founded by escaped slaves. Apparently, in show canon they're founded by these particular escaped slaves, which were the one were the first group of faceless men. And if they're a race, a race, uh, you know, an organization that comes from ex-slaves, well, it makes sense that their, for lack of a better term, price structure is a relative thing. It's yeah. like it's a percentage of your wealth. That's something that poor, you know, that like yeah. a, a poorer person could actually afford to give away two thirds of their wealth, as much as that is harder to do. It's a it's a scale that's interesting because if if they want to, if a rich person wants to pay for the assassination they have to pay like an insane amount of money so yeah. it is sort of like they are there for the common people and yeah. so it is a kind of a hard thing for them to accept Ari and that's kind of I think that's why the waif is like has some attitude about it she's like ah, you're never going to be one of us you know and I think that's kind of cool cool underlying theme there is this is like there's a little bit of a class struggle almost going on here and Ari is the one who doesn't belong it's usually the nobility that are exclusionary yeah but in this case Ari is the one who's on the outside of it and she's trying she's trying really hard but you can, she's just not fully getting it I feel like we're never going to learn too much more about the wave and I'm so intrigued by her character I want to know because because she's presented like a young girl uh so it makes you feel like well she's got to be new to this right but <laughs> not necessarily she's not necessarily even a young girl you know what i mean like she might be i don't know seven here i wonder how old jake is you know i wonder how old these characters are how uh 
can it take on the face of a younger person to to live longer? There's a lot of mysteries around Hassan Black and White. Yeah. It's really intriguing, and in they can't possibly cover it all. They need it should have its own <laughs> season. They need to, HBO is gonna have a new series that comes out. House of Black and White. That'd be so awesome. Yeah, and then they there's another kind of underlying theme there I liked was the whole. It was done very physically because of the fight scene there that they're practicing yeah, with their yeah. scabs. She says, "You'll never be one of us." And Arya is like. Mm, yes, I will. She doesn't say that, but she's like jumps up and is like, "I'm not done fighting. I'm gonna keep trying." And Waif's is like, "Look how far away you are from being clo- close." She drops her staff. She's like, "I can still destroy you without the staff." Yeah, you know. And it wasn't close. She just totally un, you know, undid her. Even though Arya's like clearly come a long way. She was looked like she was holding her own. Yeah, just still, you know, not as good. The wave beat her, but it wasn't just instant. This time, she's like, "Look, I was holding back." <laughs> <laughs> this is how far away you really are. Like you are yeah. still like a long way from being as good as one. You know, so. It was pretty powerful. You remember there was a moment when she first showed up there. Uh, I guess this was last season, first couple episodes of last season. She goes to the door. Yeah. She's like, hey, I've got this coin. You know, Jake gave it to me. Hey, let me in. I've got nowhere else to go. And he's like, you've got everywhere else to go. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I kind of feel that about Arya. She's still got a, a long way to go. Kind of like Bran, too. I didn't think it was going to happen so quick. I was kind of wondering how long Bran would be up there. I remember I was predicting that Mira would be sent out to yeah, do something yeah. while Bran stayed behind. Oh, they're all the fuck out of there quick, yeah, you like, know. So I, I wonder if uh, <laughs> if Arya might be rushed away from the House of Black and White before her training's done. You know. Yeah, I think I think that's where we're headed. I don't think she's gonna ever fully join the Faceless Men. Uh, and I think it's, I mean, they're setting that up, right? They're saying you're never gonna. Well, you're gonna yeah, I mean, is she really gonna overcome that and become fully one of them? I don't think so. I, I, I agree with you. I think it's gonna be. It may not be rushed, but she's not going to finish. And if she doesn't fully become one of them, will she become an enemy of them? Is it like, you know, the mafia or something? Dangerous you know, enemies like, to have. <laughs> but, or allies. So they might, hey, you're not one of us, but hey, you're still cool, kid. You know, yeah, take this coin. They don't Go seem, get your sword uh, back. They don't seem you. very compromising, but it's possible. Yeah. <laughs> not a lot of, uh, Arya's not terribly compromising herself either, I suppose. Although she's sort of compromising her values a bit by joining this group in the first place. But that's a bit uh, off topic. Let's keep moving. I think that's all I have for for this scene for the Arya stuff for now. Did you have any more? I did want to give a nod to the the multiple times Joffrey got slapped during the play. <laughs> I, I, I laughed at that, especially because Tyrion was one of them. We know he actually does slap Joffrey in like episode two or three, season one. <laughs> on, on one hand, we got a little balance here. Uh, I, I I'm sure there's stats out there, I don't, and I've heard them. I don't remember, but I think we get something like an average of one set of tits per episode and one penis per every other season or something like that. So we just upped the penis. Uh, but that was a much nicer set of tits than penis this episode. It was a, I don't even know if it really counts to, toward equity at all there. <laughs> Two wards, God. Two wards. Yeah. Well, penises are just never attractive in the first place, though. Hey, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> With on that note, <laughs> let's move on. Okay, so we've talked about Sansa, we talked about Arya, we talked about John. Let's move on to. I think we should go to the King's Moot next, or no? Let's go to Danny next because no, let's go to the King's Moot. Yeah, King's Moot then Danny because they go after one another in in the show. Um, they they even skip the little, they even go from the top of the cliff to the top of the cliff. Nice little visual transition there. Okay, so the King's Moot. I personally, I, I I overall liked it. It had a few. I have a few minor criticisms. But I liked it a lot overall. My favorite part was the actual drowning ceremony 
where it's interspersed. This was maybe this is a bit of a lost thing too, where they have two things going on at once. I don't know if that was like a familiar thing also from the directing style. I mean, yeah. that's that's not that it's not that unusual to have two things, you know, uh, two things happening with a voiceover as part of one of them. But while he's being drowned, the actor playing the Iron Priest there, really powerful delivery and. Just that whole, the whole mechanics of that, of drowning him and, you know, showing he's worthy, worthy by, you know, coming back. And it just fits in their religion, their whole attitude of their religion really well. I thought that was really nice. Like I said, the scene wasn't perfect. I have things I want to, I can criticize, but I'd rather focus on the things I liked. And I thought that was, the be- for me, that was the best moment. I thought that the, the speeches were pretty good too. What about you? I, I didn't really have anything I didn't like about it. I'm, well, from a I don't know a, a filmmaking perspective, I don't like Euron. In fact, I I, <laughs> I hear he's being called Euron Greyjoy is what he's being dubbed, and I love that because I don't. So far, I don't like his character. I've also <laughs> said in general, I don't know how much I like the Ironborn. For I don't like the idea of this pillaging culture. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but within it, you know, there's lots of like groups of people that you might not like, but they still have their protagonists in the context of the show. You know? Yeah. And I like Yara. I like her character. Yeah. And uh. Um, this guy he's kind of like fucked things up. You know what I mean? Let me like, say something about Euron that I think is a little from a meta perspective. Do you expect Ramsey to die this season? I don't think so. I don't think. Okay, so. I kind of no. do. I don't. I'm not sure. I think it'll happen towards the end of the season. I think the way the show has gone, the pattern. There's a couple of patterns, underlying themes here. And remember that what happened when Joffrey died, Ramsey was immediately brought to the front, like literally immediately. Like it was one of the. It might have been the yeah. actual scene following his death was. Which was uh, which was the first ep- episode after his death. His, the episode he died ended with Cersei saying, "Take him, take him, you know, take Tyrion into custody." The first scene of the next episode was Ramsay doing his hunt, and it was like transitioning from yeah. psychopath to psychopath. And I think that what that might be what they're aiming for. Ram- Euron is being ramped up just as Ramsay is on his way out. Remember, I suppose that a while back, I you thought did, that yeah. Maren Trant might be the new villain, the new like sure. pure evil character. To take the place of Ramsey. But it could be. But he got killed right away. Yeah. Ramsey's still here. But it does make sense now that they're introducing another one. That the potential is there at least yeah. to have one. Most of the characters on the show, they do a good job of having shades. You know what I mean? Like even the, the bad guys, we find ourselves rooting for them sometimes. And even the good guys screw stuff up or have some they're skeleton yeah, they're or whatever, human, you know. Yeah. Uh, or they're not but, they're, they're but Joffrey was just bad. Mm-hmm. He was just bad. There was no redeeming qualities. Yeah, like nothing. And yeah. sure <laughs> enough, you, as he goes, Ramsay comes, who pretty much the same thing. He's just pure, pure bad. You just, you know, I don't even love to hate him. I don't even... <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> we talked in a Book to Show episode about how some people have Ramsay fatigue. There's just been enough, like, yeah. okay, enough. He's just tortured people. He's just awful. Yeah. He eats apples. and you know i don't really feel that way personally but it is good to you know to to move on you know and to have go from villain to villain and transition from you changing things up a little bit and his if they defeat ramsey you know sansa this sansa john wildling coalition with the veil or with that and with maybe the tullys involved that that i think is going to be enough to beat the Boltons, and maybe at least to defeat them so that they're not a power. Maybe Ramsay survives somehow. I kind of think Roos was foreshadowing what's going to happen to Ramsay, though. He says, if you act like a, a wild dog, you'll be put down and given, you know, slaughtered yeah. and made pig feed. And, yeah. I don't know if that's really how it's going to play out, but if that's I, what's going to happen, it would fit that they're transitioning to Euron as like this yeah. new major villain. Remember, I, I have bets running with people about who's going <laughs> to kill Ramsay. And, uh, 
I think that I picked. I think my first pick was Brienne. Uh, mm. But I, but I think you know it, it got us talking. Aside from the better, whatever, just fun to think about this type of thing. Get your gears turning. Yeah. And uh, one thing I was considering, or that was talked about with the group of people I was talking about with this, the uh, it might not be as fulfilling or satisfying. It might just be some random guard. You know what I mean? He might just get shot by an arrow in the middle of battle. Like, uh, it seems like they want to give us. It seems like you want John or Sansa. Plunging a sword. That's what they do, you know? I think. That's why they but, had uh, this, you know, it's kind of why they gave us this huge payoff is, with Hodor, you know? It right. wasn't like, they didn't want to just have Hodor go and be like, Hodor's dead now. It was this huge, epic, sad moment. And ramsey has been a villain for so long, yeah, I kind of feel like they have to do it more sensationally. I, I, I mostly agree, but I think that there are certain things about the show that you sort of expect, or normally what would happen. The typical way it goes... They don't do. Usually, Ned Stark wouldn't have been killed at the end of the first. You know what I mean? That's not. They they definitely uh, are willing to surprise us and do stuff outside the box. And uh, I and I and I think one way it might be done is you know with a, a less ceremonious kill to to not give us the satisfaction. If if we can't get the satisfaction of you know Rob winning, we might not get the satisfaction of Ramsey getting his comeuppance. That's true. Know? Very true. Maybe it'll be no one will get to specifically take revenge. They'll just be like, well, he's dead now, but no one got to. You know, get that satisfying feeling. We've gotten lots of frustration from yeah. Game of Thrones. You know what I mean? Not to say that, that, that it would be a good way to give us some extra frustration. Yeah. I thought there was a chance, by the way, for, for example, uh, that Euron might not come come mm. back. Like after the drowning ceremony, he <laughs> he's might like, just, oh, I just killed him. <laughs> I, I kind of joked. I, I, I kind of <laughs> knew. You kind of know he's coming back. They wouldn't go through all this and not bring him back. Right? I was like, maybe they would. That would be put, that would be fucking awesome. They would think of the buzz and excitement. And, and, and some people might be confused or pissed or upset, but some people would be excited. It would be news buzzworthy. It would be unique and interesting if that if John hadn't come back. You know what I mean? Uh, but uh, but you know, I kind of expected him to come back. But uh, so what about the what, what were you surprised that when Yara? Since we're still talking about the moot, sort of, we kind of went off on Ramsey there for a minute. But talking about the moot some more. Were you surprised that no one reacted to Bale, uh, Euron admitting that he killed? He's like, yeah, I killed him, you know. And he, he, he. I think he, to me, he read the, he read the, the crowd properly. He read that they're, he's a failure. Balin was a failure. Known and not, no, not enough people would care that he took him out. Maybe uh, I'm not sure because first of all, I don't think it's straight true that not enough people care because a bunch of people went with Yara to take those boats. You're so right. It's definitely a split crowd. It would seem. Yeah. And. They weren't mad enough to just, like, instantly, like, you killed him, let's get him. You know, it wasn't that, you know. I've I've been kind of questioning how much I'm blurring books and show, my perception of things. But, you know, generally speaking, the idea of a kinslayer, that's like a a taboo thing. Kill a family member, right? And I I imagine just in the world, that's pretty bad also. But, like, I think it's like (laughs) a a specific thing. And I can imagine, like, in feudal times, because there would be all, there would be younger brothers killing older brothers to inherit the, the land or whatever. Um, and so you could see how that might be a particular crime or penalty or taboo of this culture. Uh, but fucking Ramsey just kills Roos like it's nothing. And here Euron just kills his brother like it's nothing. And yeah. and then furthermore, he's like, now let's go kill my niece and nephew. Yeah, let's go mm-hmm. get him. And everyone's like, geez, y'all. Just well, and Yara said she was going to execute him for doing that, which would be kinslaying too. I suppose that's true. Like yeah. if it's a, if it's a, because the thing is, in the uh, this, and this is what I, I'm gonna. Maybe she was giving him an here. out though, like to, well, to blame someone else or to cover his tracks or whatever. This like. is a good time to clear up book and show canon a bit. Uh, definitely in the books, kinsling is a major taboo, more so in the north than anywhere else, but all okay. over the realm. Right. But mostly in the north, it's the biggest deal there. Now, but I just think what they've done here is they just 
Kinsling is not nearly as big of a taboo in show camp. I think it's just that simple. Show, it's not a big deal. Like, yeah. it's not good. I Yeah, I started thinking about it, and I can't specifically remember anyone yeah. saying or talking. And I even can imagine from a show, from a production perspective, people might get confused. Because they say Kingslayer, talking about Jamie a whole bunch. Yeah. And if they start talking about Kinslayer also, people might get confused. So, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I'm not sure. Uh, one or the other... Like, even, like Tyrion killed his father, and you don't see a lot of people telling him, oh, Kinslayer, they're just like, some people are like, whoa, you killed your own father, that's that's rough. But right. they're not like, you're cursed. Yeah, you know, no one's yeah. like saying, oh, you're 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 cursed by the god, you killed your own father. You know, you yeah. got a Kinslayer and killing your sire. Like, that doesn't really come up. Like, Tyrion's particular note has been made of it. Yeah. But, you know, he doesn't say, no, I'm a Kinslayer. So I think that's just, I think it's just, let's not go too far with the whole idea that Kinsling is really negative in the show because they haven't set that up. So I think it's fair yeah. to just say, well, that's just show can. That's just how it is. <clears throat> so you're right. That's a good thing to be like, oh, it is different in the show. You know, it's not, it's not, they didn't change direction. They didn't be like, oh, all of a sudden Kingsling doesn't matter. It's just, it never has mattered as much. Yeah. Which in a sense is more like the real world, which isn't necessarily a bad or good thing. It's just, it's just kind of realistic. In the history of the world, plenty of brothers have killed brothers and, and you know, prince, princely brothers have killed other princely brothers infinite times has one brother killed another or a father killed a son or etc to take the crown that's just that's old hat in our world yeah. so it's pretty easy to accept as long as you don't get too hung up on the fact that the books would not do it that way that is a big no-no kinslaying so well i think that uh clearly the crowd is, is split and i can imagine they being split both between uh they don't know you're on. Like, you've never been right. there, right? Like, so, some of them, maybe the out. older ones, would know. There would probably be tales of him and it, something from his youth. And uh, it's it's not like he has, like, completely has no right to be there yeah. to make this claim. But it seems to me like he has less right, potentially at least less right, especially once uh, Theon has kind of said, no, man, she should be the one. And they've also kind of clarified that it isn't just an inheritance thing. It's not just the oldest son. They kind of That's the whole purpose of this meeting is to choose a leader. We're not just going to default to the oldest son. Semi-democratic, right? yeah. Uh, and uh, and that's, their, that's their old tradition. Remember, like, when they, were, when they were controlled by the Iron Throne, when they were part of the kingdom, they had to they, follow the yeah. standard inheritance laws. And that's why Asha was kind of, like, slightly caught off guard, which is like, well, when I take over, and, and the priest was like, you may not take over. This is, yeah. now that we're a separate kingdom... We do this democratically now. We have a king's move. So that, you know, that's that's just a different way they do it once they're independent. But I like that uh, I was going to relate it to when uh, Alistair executed John. Yeah. How even if everyone is kind of split, some people might be like, ah, fuck John. Some people are like, oh my God, I can't believe you did that. And you'll have like kind of a mix. Yeah. But when the person of authority is saying up front, I did it and I'm in charge now. Well, a lot of people on a fence will be like, oh, okay, I'll go along with you then. You know what I mean? So he's going to win a few people. Some people just didn't like Balon in the first place. Some people were remember him from their youth and wait for him to come back. Some people were kind of undecided. And he's going to sway a lot. Some people, and this is you know part of my frustration, is that if it was just Theon, I don't think he would have won over so easily. It's just because she's a girl. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Oh, I agree. I agree. And it's it's got to be so frustrating for her, and it's got to be she's got to be so torn too between like getting Theon support and Theon support being kind of ugh, negative to have. Uh, yeah, it's so like, easy to like to, <laughs> to, his, his support could be a detractor, you know. So uh, and that's what Euron did. Euron tried to undermine yeah, Theon, yeah. like like saying, "Look, he doesn't even have a penis." <laughs> you know, like in this very male dominated culture, that's obviously like a pretty big deal. You know, they think of that as mattering a lot, and Euron couched his. 
his uh, aggression against his brother in Ironborn terms. I thought that was pretty clever. He's like, yeah, I did it. I paid the iron price. I wasn't born to be king. That's not how we do it. I earned it. I'm standing here. I I'm here because I paid the iron price. And that like won the move. That was his last line. And then they just broke out into cheering. So yeah. I thought that was kind of cool the way he couched it in Ironborn values. He, he, he spun what he did into... Hey, this is what Ironborn do, you know? And, I and was, as I, like I said, I don't like the Ironborn. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, so you're like, <laughs> these like, aggressive, uh, conniving, uh, uh, they're they're basically chauvinistic, yeah. pirate, so on, so on. Pirate dudes, yeah. Yeah, it's hard for me to like find something to root for there. Uh, <laughs> I think they're interesting, but yeah, it's hard to root yeah. for them as a culture. You're like, yeah, yeah, go Ironborn. You're like, no, don't go Ironborn. Yeah, you took Winterfell. <laughs> uh, don't take Winterfell. Like, yeah, you can go to war. Why do you want to war? God, it's uh, Everyone else is like looking for peace and happiness and prosperity and security security and they're looking for destruction and devastation and that's kind of what asha was saying he's like look all we've ever had is devastation we just lose we just lose and then they smack us down and they forget about us and she was trying to she didn't ever say what she was going to do with that big fleet yeah but although she it does seem like even she has this aggressive mentality i'm going to build the biggest fleet anyone ever saw a thousand ships we'll show them and like Still feel like you're just gonna go con. Let's say, well, let's say, let's say her point. or Euron. Mm-hmm. Let's like project forward, and everything magically goes their way. There's no Danny or zombies to worry about, and they just run their fleet across the coast of the Westeros and just take over, take King's Landing, sit up on Iron Throne, execute the other lords. At that point, are they gonna go ahead and buy some new clothes? <laughs> are they still gonna go out and kill someone to steal their shit? When will they ever be settled? You know, like. Well, my thinking was that based on what Asha said, or I would keep calling her Asha by her book name, Yara, the thing that Yara said to Theon, or rather not to Theon, but to her father, when he said, you know, when she says, look, we just lost. Like, all your war, all this, all it amounted to nothing. We, we took, we captured pine cones, you know, we mm-hmm. captured, it was crap. I think she's a little more progressive than that. I think she's got a little bit more of an eye on not just dominating with ships, but being able to build wealth with ships. Like we can, we can, we can dominate the seas. That doesn't just mean raiding. That means also trading and all these other things yeah. that can make us powerful. I think she realizes that they've been doing it wrong. So I don't think I don't, she, I don't think she's going to make this big speech about how we're doing it wrong. So let's keep doing what we were doing. If like you know uh, what I mean. If their fleet was a security force for Westeros, if they were the navy of Westeros, so yeah. they could protect the ports and fight off pirates and collect an income by from the ports for doing this. Uh, yeah, then that would right? be a more stable, long-term, successful. She wants them to matter, and they haven't mattered by attacking, yeah. by raiding and attacking. Yeah. And so, so yeah. I don't, I don't know that that was her plan. Although I think she wants that menace to be there, because that to be the the teeth behind their presence. Be like, look, we'll go out there and be part of the realm. We'll trade. We'll patrol, but don't take us lightly, because we're also the masters of the sea. And if things don't go our way, we could become a big problem. We don't want to, and we're not just going to be smacked down and forgotten about again. So she's, I think she's got a, it's kind of a multi-pronged plan there, but of course Euron, you know, he gets in the way and everything's different. <laughs> so now, where do we think she's going? She, she's just going to take on Euron's plan? Well, I don't know. Good question. Way, I'm going to call him Euron for now. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to take a short break and we'll come back and talk about that specifically. That's uh, a good question <clears throat> and one I don't have a great answer for. Okay, where is uh, is Yara going? I almost called her Asha again. <laughs> I should just call her Asha Yara like I do. Yasha? Yarsha? Yarsha? Yeah. She might be doing Euron's plan. She'll be like, yeah, well, we should go to this Dragon Queen. Good idea. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. honestly, I don't know where else she could be going other than to escape 
and realizing it's not safe there anymore. I mean, she threatened to kill, to execute Euron if she was made queen. So it makes sense that he would turn around. He would probably do it anyway because yeah. he's just, you know, kind of a psychopath. Or, or at least, you know, not <laughs> not above killing people. He's clearly willing to do that. So he's like, and it's also normal in terms of real world dynastics. When yeah. one party comes out ahead in a civil war, you get rid of the other party entirely so that there's no chance of any more civil war breaking out. And it's almost pragmatic as much as it is good for, it's almost as good for the realm as it is pragmatic. Like, you don't, sure, it's selfish. Sure, it's kind of, in, in a sense, it seems unfair to execute someone just for who they're, just because they have this relationship to the crown, even if they're not pushing it. But yeah, you're talking about the whole realm stability here. That just the, the per fact that this person is alive threatens, yeah. you know, st the stability of literally millions of people. I mean, well, not John, little millions of Ironborn, thousands of Ironborn. <laughs> John Hung, John Hang, Hanged, Hal, uh, Ollie, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you remember Robert, like Ned was struggling with this, and I imagine other people were struggling too. They all took the party line. Sorry, let me clarify when when Robert wanted to kill Danny back yeah. in season one. Yeah, and and Ned's like, "What? Can't do that!" And the whole King's Council all sat there: Pycelle, Renly, Littlefinger, Varys. All of them had these different explanations. They're all like, like, "Look, it's just one little girl to stop a big war. How many more people would die if we didn't? Maybe this is the better thing. Like, we understand your principles, but where else would you apply your principles?" Same thing with the Red Wedding. And, like, uh, yeah, it's like it's dirty, it's underhanded, it seems really yeah. evil, but a lot of people like it was just. Less death happened. Less total death happened. It was unfair. Yeah. No, I'm not saying the wedding was like, yay, Tywin. No, I'm not saying that by any means. But his point was that by doing this, we spared the realm of continued long-term war. Yeah. There is, and that, you, and it seems to be that aspect. You can't really say he's wrong about. Like it's not. <laughs> there seems to be a common theme, a common dilemma: is leaders have to make these decisions, which on the surface, in the short run, personally, seem terrible. Right, Amon told John, "Kill the boy. Look, yeah. you're gonna have to like make some tough decisions." Uh, Tyrion, we got slavery and war. Can't end both. All right, let's end Rob the war. Stark seven years of slavery. Sent two thousand decoy men off, basically yeah. off to their death, knowing to, that they would be killed. Yeah, so, yep. Uh, he hated it, but he did it because he knew he had to. He was like, "I had to do that." It's even a point I've tried to defend. Um, Theon, when he conquered Winterfell, like the <laughs> idea, like. It's extra bad because he knew them personally. You yeah. know what I mean? But what he did there was no different than what every other leader in every other scenario has done or tried to do. His family was at war with that country, yeah. that nation that he attacked. When Robert's Rebellion was over, they killed Rhaegar's wife and kids. When, uh, yeah. when, when, when Ned had this guy who deserted a wall chop his head off. The people don't even get trials. Like, you know what I mean? Like, how different was it for Theon yeah. to want to kill Bran and Rickon than it was for uh, Danny to kill all the calls? Our know? emotional attachments vary to these characters, and we don't have any attachment to those calls. Yeah. But we do have an attachment to all the people at Winterfell that Theon slaughtered. Roderick and Lewin and all those. But yeah, yeah but if we didn't know about them, and it's the same thing, like, with Sansa's scene with Ramsay. Like, we saw... Tons of characters get raped, but it meant more to us when it happened to Sansa, Sansa because yeah. we care about Sansa more. And we admit that, that it's just because we know her better. That's that's human. That's not being, that's not favoritism. Well, it is favoritism, but it's it's, the it's kind natural of, it's to have favoritism, right? Yeah, it's very human and, to just care more about the people that you know better. And you can see some of the leaders are, are, you know, maybe a little quicker and easier to make these decisions of slaughter. And they're more bad guys. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. And some of them like struggle with it and feel the need to justify and try to put it off. And there are more good guys. 
But sometimes it, John still has to kill Ollie, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it and it dro- mm-hmm. almost drove him away from the watch. But he sucked him back in. <laughs> okay, so do you have anything more on... The- oh, yeah, we haven't even talked about where Asha's... I keep doing it. Where Yara's going. Yeah. So besides yeah. besides going to Danny, instead, you may be trying to rush ahead of Yara and be like, well, let's let's cut that plan off and let's take let's take this plan over. Rather than she's not going to try to marry. Obviously, she's not trying to marry Daenerys. I feel like but... that's the only thing that's really been set up. Almost anything else I can think of, I feel like I'm just kind of making it up. I'm trying to find loose connections and reasons why. Like, I guess Davos was trying to raise a fleet, so he found Saladar, Saladar Sin. Yeah, Saladar uh, Sam, yeah. Saladar Sin. So, you know, I guess there's, like, fleets and pirates out there. Maybe she can find some other port or town or fleet to join or to get to join her but i feel like i'm kind of like stretching to find something maybe whereas what's i feel like what's being set up is you mean there's another woman in charge somewhere and she needs a fleet i'm there you know yep yep. so that that's kind of neat that's kind of interesting that's having set up you wonder who's gonna come out on top of that i mean asha god i can't stop doing it yara has this (laughs) huge head start on euron who is trying to like everybody build ships shipbuilding is not quick but Let's be honest. The show plays with time a bit. They could we they could have ships like next episode, and it would be in line with other should, timeline decisions they made. Get Littlefinger to build the ships. Yeah, or just have Bran go back in time and order ships built. <laughs> like it's like I built those you know a year ago actually. Uh, so that's it's really hard to say where that's going, but it could be it could be like Euron just chases after Yara. I said it right this time. Yara chases after her fleet and. Who comes out ahead? I have no idea. There is something that I more I can say on this, but it's it's based on what we saw in trailers, so I won't say that now. But okay. remember, remember that I, folks who are interested in preseason trailer analysis that applies to this plot line, I do have a juicy tidbit that will that will change the the, the scope of this a bit. So check that check that out at the end of this episode. But for now, I don't know. There's like you say, it's really hard to guess about any other possibility there, based on what we've seen. Do you have any more on the Iron, the Ironborn in general, on the, on this plot line, on the King's Moot, on Theon, on the Iron Priest, perhaps? That's apparently another uncle of theirs. Yeah, I'm curious about him. I'm curious about the it's it's the weird. Iron Islands uh, Maester also. I yeah, like the... it's not clear at this point that I'm aware of the in the books, which is a good thing to fall back on when we don't know about the show. Aaron, that Iron Priest, is a younger brother of Balon and Euron and some others. And it's certainly not younger. But he than looks Euron. older. Yeah, he's yeah. clearly older here. But maybe they just do. He's Could. a priest, so he's out of the line of succession. So this yeah. is that simple. That's that's yeah. pretty typical. I don't think they've even spoken his name or they mentioned his relationship. It's just been credited that way behind the scenes and all. Okay. So yeah. So it's not necessarily that important to delve into. But just know he does have a name. He's Aaron, and he's uh, apparently I don't know if they specify that he's Aaron Greyjoy. Cause that, but he may just be Aaron. They may have just kept the name and gotten rid of the fact that he was a Greyjoy. Yeah. But I don't suppose it matters. It doesn't look like that matters in the show, so we can drop that as a, as a point. But it's an, it's neat to point out, but I don't think it's going to matter. Okay, maybe we should move on to Bran then. Oh, no, sorry. Not, Bran, no. Ah, not yet. Danny, <laughs> one more stop before Bran. Ah, fooled you guys. I know that's the thing you guys most want us to talk about. Danny won't take long, to be honest. This, this was not a big, big scene here. It's, set, it's a setup scene for sure. It was emotional. For sure. Yeah, yeah. And although in an episode full of emotive scenes, this was, didn't really, it was kind of behind the curve, I bet, because it's not. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, 
the Tyrion Varus part was more interesting to me than a Danny, and, and I had more to it. Yeah, know? and we'll link those two uh, together. So we actually have both of those to cover before we get to Bran. Yeah. See, we have so much to do. Okay, so let's let's get going. Danny. Okay, so it's kind of a cool shot there. Similar vantage point. She's looking down on everything, just like the uh, Euron and, and Aaron and the other Ironborn were looking down at the ships as they sailed off. So that was kind of that was a nice little bit of uh, cinematography. Both those shots are really cool. Uh, again, the locations are just so good. They're just they they do all. They apparently put a lot of effort into location scouting. Really pays off, I think. They've, especially the also the scene, the, the tree, the frozen tree, this this the site of the of the brand stuff is just oh, that's just really good. All of yeah. it's just the scenery is just mm. seeing it in uh, spring and winter. Also the same. Oh yeah. Yeah. Really well done. We're already talking about it. Yeah. To, we, we can't help ourselves. It's such right. a great epic thing. Okay, so Danny. So, yeah, with Danny, I, uh, my, my, my one main thought here was uh, I just feel like she's she's like, all right, Jorah, I appreciate you love me. You've done so much. Oh, my God, you're going to die. I order you to cure yourself. You bow <laughs> yourself to me. I order you to cure yourself. I feel like Jorah should be like, all right, all right. Can I get some like money? <laughs> she gave him a horse at least. Troops <laughs> to go with me. Can I? Can I? Just don't touch them. Yeah. Where you guys yeah. going? There's like a lot of people. Maybe is there some kind of mm -hmm. shaman that might know something here? All right, I'll look somewhere else. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. She could do a little more to support him, but uh, I guess they maybe just had she to keep will. Moving, yeah. But, yeah. And it's interesting that you wonder like, is that just? It's it's kind of her way, right? It's it's, it's a little bit of her childish stubbornness. I mean, she's. A badass, no doubt. She's fearless. She's magical. <laughs> she's a fire man. Yeah. And she can, and she birthed dragons. But she's still, and, but the thing is, when you're really good at everything, when you succeed at almost everything you do, it, it sometimes makes you expect success. Makes you expect that yeah. I want this to happen, so it's going to happen because she gets what she wants. And she's like, I order you to heal yourself. It's like, it's kind of like, I mean, I don't want to take that too far. I mean, she's not like fooling herself. But she's, like, using her feelings about this and the fact that Jorah is, like, totally won over to her. Like, he'll do anything she says. Be like, look, if you're going to put all your effort into something, you're going to put it into saving yourself. You know? So she's, yeah. like, she used her dominance over him, which is, you know, complete. Yeah. <laughs> and, but it's also got, the like, a, just a twist of the childishness of, like, you do you like i'm ordering you to do this kind yeah. of semi-impossible thing, you know? <laughs> but, but is it impossible? Yeah. I don't know. I think it might. I think it might work out. I think he might be cured somehow. I I feel like much like the first time he was sent off. I didn't. Oh, I guess we'll never see him. I and mean, you kind of know he's coming back. He's kind of coming yeah. back here. And maybe she does need to send him away. Maybe she did or could give him some money or ask some people for advice. But she still can't risk it. The contagiousness. So yeah. So, yeah. Um, go risk that with some other people. <laughs> Get away from me, <laughs> leper. <laughs> now, this is also. There's another another little thing happening here that I think is interesting, and it goes with some of the predictions that we made before. I've been saying for a while that I think Jorah's relatively safe because, at least in terms of dying, as much as you can be safe when you have this wasting killer disease. But I think that what I've been saying is that I think Grayscale is going to become a bigger thing, and if she's going to tell him to find a cure. What it's setting up is Grayscale is going to be a problem, but Jorah is going to have found a cure, maybe. Mm, yeah. So they're setting up All both right. the beginning and the end of this little mini subplot. He can come back as not not just, hey, I cure myself. Hey, I'm the savior for your people who yeah. have this disease. And I don't think it's going to be some mundane cure. Grayscale's been around for apparently hundreds, if not thousands of years. No one's, no, as far as we know, there is no cure for it. So I think the cure, if there is one, it's going to be something magical. Yeah. 
Shireen was cured. And when when it, yeah, well, she survived asked, the bout of grace. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And when Dror was asked, the question, the answer to is there a cue wasn't he wasn't no. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Like uh, there seems to be a certain amount of mystery. People seem to have a certain mix of knowledge and not knowledge about it. People which, seem to recognize which, it fits and setting, know that yeah. it's bad, but not really sure is there a cure? I don't know. Yeah, it's 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 not like our world where everyone knows like which diseases aren't curable and which ones are. Like, yeah. I mean, obviously, there's places in this world even now where people don't have that knowledge. But they in the first world, we all tend to know that there is no cure for stupidity. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think all they, nations know that. They knew that even there, <laughs> even in this time period. <laughs> I mean, everyone knows that there's no cure for AIDS, but and that there is a cure for, you know, polio. Yeah. You know, for example. But in, in Westeros and Essos, this kind of knowledge isn't common at all. People are yeah. like, diseases, because a lot of people think diseases are a sign of you know, some sort of moral failure or, you know, like the gods have cursed you, you know, rather than it being just germs, yeah, <laughs> you know, like yeah. you should have washed your hands first, buddy. You know, it's that simple. You're drinking out of a filthy lake. That's why you got sick. Eating moldy bread. Or yeah. Whatever. Like, hello. Yeah. So all these things. So as far as that goes, but if we take that a little step farther, then what is this cure going to be? Uh, I mean, no, I have no idea, but there's a possible hint. Because we just have this new magical ally coming on to Danny's side that she doesn't even know she has yet. It's in this next scene, or I don't know what order the scenes were in. But with this red priest, Kinvara, coming along saying, I'm going to dispatch all sorts of priests preaching Danny. Okay, well, here's somebody that has magic. Is it going to be her, way, her or one of them? When did Melisandre show up to Stannis relative to Shireen's birth? Is there a connection there? Is that... I don't think there's a connection there. We, we aren't told. I'll tell you, in, in the books, it's maybe a year or two before... The books start, Melisandre apparently shows up and starts trying to win over... Like I said, it's a process. She wins over Solis first. But it would have been then... well after Shireen had already gotten Grayscale and survived yeah, through it. Yes, because so yes, Shireen got Grayscale when she was in the crib still. Okay. And, and she was about 10, I think, when she died. And I think so. It's, it's, there's plenty of... There's like six six or seven years in between her getting Grayscale and Melisandre showing up. Okay. Okay, so maybe that's good for Danny. Let's talk about... Um, let's go ahead and talk about the... Uh, Tyrion Varys. Tyrion Varys, yeah. Uh, there is a... I, I thought it was a really good scene. Well, well, I, th I appreciate lots of things about it. I, I always like Tyrion's dialogue. I think it's unfair how good his dialogue is compared <laughs> to other people. Uh, Whether he's being funny or serious. Yeah. yeah. He's like, she's mother of dragons, breaker of chains, and it was, all it that. was <laughs> well constructed. When yeah. the, the moment when Varys stepped forward. You know, and things are going good. Oh, right, you're going to be an ally. Yeah, here. Well, you don't have to kill him. I just want people to obey. Look, I'll help you if you're really going to go back and forth. And then Varys is like, hold on a minute. I got something to say here. Yeah. And he physically positions himself in front of Tyrion. And Tyrion's like, uh, okay, friends, don't fight. Yeah. yeah he's like, <laughs> almost every time Varys said something, Tyrion tries to like even it out a little bit. And you're like, well, he, you know, he's just upset at the moment. Don't. Uh, it's, it's really cool because Varys is usually that guy. Varys cool is usually the guy who's the like others. trying to keep everybody yeah. together, being the diplomat. Yeah. And this is just goes to show that even Varys, who was cool and calm and collected, this is one of his, you know, one of his hangups. Yeah, this yeah. is exactly. It's really personal to him. It's it's deeper. You know, as much as a game, as much as he is a master of playing the game, even he has things that will bring out his inner child, so to speak, like the things that he doesn't trust. That he he's going to confront this person, even though she's. You know, powerful and intimidating because of his own personal feelings, which is something that Varus usually keeps in check. So I thought that was really neat. And he's trembling before her. She just undoes him. He's like, 
how should, you know, we can't trust you. Look at the blah, 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 Stannis. Well, he wasn't really this, you know, you know. And she just oh, just totally just one-ups him, completely knows everything about him. It yeah, just knows the voice, like, whoa. Very Melisandre-ish, <laughs> the way she steps forward, puts her hand on his arm, yeah, just kind of disarms him and, and with her <laughs> confidence and... and yeah. Knowledge, he, I'll say. Great know? acting. He's virus was like trembling and yeah. like breathing heavily, and his shoulders were like hunched, like he was tense. And I can't be the only one. Once again, I feel like the scene with Sansa is really good, and the reuniting of the characters in the North was really good, and this moment with Varus was really good, and it left me just thinking, who voice? What? Tell me, God damn it! What's? Don't cut the scene. <laughs> what did they say? What? Did, you know, I want to know so bad. I, I sort of assume we'll find out eventually, but geez, I want to know. <laughs> but you just forget about all that by the time we get done. Yeah, and everything. It's true, and that's but, but that's it's part of the theme though. This this scene sets up that really. Well. Yes, yes. Which again, I, I if we want to move on to that, we can at least start to transition. All then. right, because I I feel like that's uh, you know it's confusing or awkward i can imagine some people might complain i i often am very wary of time travel when it comes to I don't know, film or literature or whatever Me too. There's, there's lots of flaws with it problems with it and, it and it excuses bad writing it sets up bad writing and uh but uh, oftentimes what they're trying to do the point of it what the 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 theme of you know when time travel is an element of some work it's usually destiny versus decision you know like oh are yeah. you really in control? What really matters? You know, at what point did you decide or can you make a difference? Yeah, Stuff like it's that. a real world and, debate, too. Yeah. And uh, and so, you know, she points out to him, like, look, you know, this terrible moment from your childhood that obviously still, you know, lingers in your mind. It's sent you here. You know, it's it's led you through your life to where you're at now. Everyone is where they are for a reason, she says. Yeah, it's like know? the Lord of Light, just you saying the Lord of Light, just yeah. everything is his will, huh? She's like, yeah, everything is his will. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't back, back down at all from that. She's like, yeah, that is how yeah. it is. And <laughs> it, I might be wrong. Like, Melisandre might be wrong. Stannis maybe wasn't the one. Maybe Danny is or isn't. I don't know. But just because I'm wrong doesn't mean God's wrong, you know? Yeah, right. And uh, to the best of my ability, I'm going to believe in God and I'm going to believe in myself and what are you what are you doing what do you yeah. think you're you're doing the same thing pretty yeah. much you know like uh you got here i got here what are we doing next you know yeah so that's the whole point that sets up that last scene the destiny of uh, the destiny of hodor kind of parallels what kinvar was saying it's like look his destiny was set you know this is what he was meant to do the you know but in kinvar's worldview that was his role to play in this world that was what the that was what the lord of light set that path for him Varus's worldview would be like, no, these things happen because these things happen. You know, men and women made decisions, and these decisions have consequences, and things happen, and they play out. And the gods, you know, either don't do anything, or they don't do these things so specifically, or they just sit and watch, or they don't exist at all. You know, that's his that's his attitude, and it's these are very diametrically opposed viewpoints. Yeah. Well, this is kind of some philosophical thought, but just my personal opinion, because I have thought a good bit about this, I think it can be both. I think just because your destiny is known doesn't mean you're not choosing it. Does that make sense? Mm, that's pretty meta. Like, uh, <laughs> I'm I, abusing the term meta this episode. Yeah, yeah. Really, I'm going, I'm uh, throwing it all over the place. If there really is a god, and he really is up in the clouds with his beard, deciding who's going to die of cancer or whatever, 
even if he can see the future, it doesn't mean that I didn't decide to pick up this pen just now. Like, it, even if he calls me to do it somehow, even if there's some sort of, like, interaction of molecules through the course of time that led to me picking up that pencil, I still chose to do it. It doesn't, I don't care if someone knew it was going to happen or if it was destined to yeah. happen. I still made the decision. Uh, that's still, that's, that, that's, that's my just, take yeah. on things. If, you know, if you can the be world is predestined like that, it changes the meaning of the word choice. So I agree with what yeah. you're saying because okay, yeah. choice is, is, is a different thing. The meaning of choice is different, but I can, I can agree with you that it would still be called a choice. Because what else do you call it? You say, well, if everything is just guided by the gods, then you don't have to explain anything. You know, it's just, well, that's what the gods want. We don't understand the gods, so there you go. So, yeah, I think it's really neat the way there's these these setups of people being intended to be sacrifices or intended. And this is Kinvara's attitude. That's how she can just so casually say thousands of unbelievers are going to die. They're going to burn. And Tyrion's like, we don't need to do too much of that. <laughs> Remember that you said you're serving Danny. Danny's got believers of all faiths here. It's not just when she's like, we're all one faith. You know, she's, but Kinvara's like, nah. <laughs> I, by the way, that was a thing. I, I almost want to go back and watch it another time because I couldn't quite decide if she seeded that point. I couldn't quite tell if she's like, oh, yeah, right, maybe we won't burn too many people at first. You know, I, I think she took his point. I felt like she took his point. Well, she know? said, what she said that was, you want your queen to be worshipped and obeyed? And while she's gone, you want your rule. Your, and he's like, I'm fine with just being obeyed. <laughs> right, right. And I thought that maybe that would be, at least for the moment, that, mm -hmm. that she would keep burning people in check. I'm not sure know? if she'd accept that. I kind of agree with you, but I'm not sure. My, what gives me pause is that she doesn't really see Danny as just a, you know, she sees Danny as part of the divine. You know, she's, and of course it makes sense. Someone comes out of a fire unburnt and you have this, yeah. this fire worshiping religion. Of course they're going to be like, hey. That person, <laughs> yeah, yeah. she's doing what our prophecies say, you know. So they, of course, they'd glom onto that big time. It just makes sense that they would have. She would pick up followers, not just the Dothraki. But other people would hear about this and be like, "Really?" She's so they 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 see you know in a world where people worship gods and they're superstitious, seeing it played out in grand scale like that is going to win her mad acclaim so, and followers and just and and but they'll be uncompromising followers. They're like Danny's the yeah. one. She's the one. There's no there's no compromise here. Think. I want to think a minute about how this will play out when her and Danny, assuming her and Danny link up, right? Yeah. Think about the the relationship between Melisandre and Stannis. Mm -hmm. One, it's it. Stannis often seemed to defer to her. As as stubborn and confident as he was, he often, when she said no, this thing, he was like, "All right, well, that thing. You know, all right, I guess I won't kill Davos. I was gonna, <laughs> but she said not to." Uh, and even sometimes people even took that as a sort of a weakness, which 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 I didn't. And in fact, I thought of it as a strength, his willingness to change his decision, take advice, which is so different from almost every other leader. Everyone else is, sticks to what they believe to their death. And he's like the one person taking advice from Davos, mm, taking advice from yes. he still ends up dying. Uh, mm. But uh, Danny herself is often pretty stubborn, not listening to what people are telling her. Yeah. So when his priestess says, hey, you need to doubt it all. Is Danny Black? Oh yeah, I guess I'll just do what you say. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, Danny doesn't do that kind of thing. Does she, she might, right? She <laughs> might take the advice, especially if Tyrion is on that side. But Tyrion might not be on that side if she's burning people left and right. Yeah, it, also, you wonder if it'll be like a Stannis Melisandre dynamic without the like you know underlying sexual theme. Yeah, where yeah. Stannis is kind of in charge, but she's still he kind of deferred to her on a lot of things. Danny, I don't know. She might. She's got her own ideas, maybe as much or more than Stannis did. Yeah. And she's not going to be, you know, she's not, unlike Stannis, again, Stannis, kind of, some some of what Stannis' deferral was because of the sexual relationship, yeah. which Danny won't have. So, 
There was still Danny still had other advisors though. It wasn't just Malshan. Yeah, Davos Danny will still have Varys and Tyrion to advisors. So there will be different directions to be pulled or arguments to be made. But also, um, just other thoughts on it. Melisandre kind of proved herself. But Stannis didn't just like, oh, I'll do whatever she says because she's hot. She yeah. proved herself over time. <laughs> she had real power. We saw it. He saw it. It's mm-hmm. legitimate to follow her. Yes. This priestess might prove that she has real power, and Danny might see that. It might win her over. Although, Danny might not care. Like, I don't need you. I got this far without you. Yeah, mm. I'm the stallion that rides. I don't need you. I'm going to Westeros. No, you're the one, the Lord of Light shows. I don't care anything about the Lord of Light. I didn't need you before. I don't need you now. Yeah. Stop burning people. Or I'm <laughs> going to burn you and my dragons. You know, <laughs> like, maybe this one won't be able to my control the dragons. My fire is hotter than yours. <laughs> maybe this one won't be able to control the dragons. Maybe the Red Priest will be immune to the dragon fire. Whoa. Lots of things might happen. <laughs> but I like to think about it. I kind of, I, 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 like I said, you we have these different characters from these different backgrounds some waiting to be reunited, some waiting to interact for the first time. And I can't wait to see how Danny's going to respond to Tyrion's compromise with the slavers. Mm. And I can't wait to see how she receives this Red Priestess. Yeah, because we, as we've said, she's not that big. She's sort of been learning to compromise gradually, but she's never been that big on compromise. She, she kind of thinks, right. she, for better or worse, often better, not always, she goes with you know what she sees as the more moral choice and because she has the power to implement it or thinks she has the power to implement it, that's the direction she goes so yeah i agree with you that she's not just going to stand for just people being burned because they have a different religion yeah that's just not going to fly with her and yeah that could cause some clashes with her and these people who purport to follow her she'd be like look am i or am i not the savior then you will listen to me you yeah. know, <laughs> like if I'm and, the one, then you will, then you better follow. And mine. if Melisandre can be wrong about Stannis being the true one, if this woman, as far as said, can, yeah, right, if this woman can admit that, hey, people make mistakes, I'm trying to follow the God, I might be wrong, Melisandre might be wrong, uh, then they might be able to admit that burning people is wrong. Maybe yeah. Danny can say, hey, Dothraki, stop trading slaves. Mm-hmm. Priestess of Light, stop burning people alive. <laughs> we have another conflict. That we haven't talked about yet, that relates to this plot line, and it's again with Mel- relates to Melisandre and Kinvara. Kinvara is now declaring that Danny is the one who promised. Melisandre has now said John is the one who prince is the prince who's mm-hmm. promised. So we now have potential infighting between red priests. Of course, Melisandre has no following, and Kinvara has like apparently all kinds of people. So that's uh, that's point Kinvara there. Do you and... remember uh, what's the uh, Monty Python? The Life of Brian. The Life mm-hmm. of Brian. Remember when he's he's like trying to trying to <laughs> trying to avoid the Romans and he starts like preaching poly, preaching philosophy until the Romans pass by and he's like the secret of life is just to get the crowd to be, and then the Romans pass he's like okay I'm out of here and then people are like wait what's the secret of life <laughs> he starts running and it's the savior he's supposed to say he's not the secret of life and as he's running he like his sandal comes off <laughs> and he like stops to turn around to pick it up and there's this horde of people oh, he just runs on without a sandal and the people come to the sandal like. We must all take off our left sandal and hold it above it. No, we must collect sandals. And all you got the Baptists and the crazy, Protestants. Yeah, here, you know, yeah, like, they're interpreting it in a variety yeah. of ways, just like throwing out whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, so oh, here, signs and portents. Yeah. So here we go. The, the the priests of the red priests could be split and who they think the Savior is and how they should follow, whether or not they should burn people. Kinvar's or... argument seems a little better, you know, the whole fire not. I'm just playing here, but like the whole surviving fire making dragons is probably stronger than coming back from the dead. Maybe? I don't know. Which is yeah. more powerful, yeah. especially because John didn't do that on his own. Yeah, yeah. You that's know, true. that was Melisandre kind of hoping to bring him back, and, you know, we're like, hey, it worked. 
But I don't know that that I could see that being a major conflict. I've also talked about the potential conflict between this the rise of the faith and their zealotry versus Dan's going to be importing a whole different brand of zealot. Potentially. Yeah, yeah. Woo. <laughs> it's just like crazy talk and that's like we talk about how the realm is falling apart in the face of the real threat to the north and like we may not even seen we may not have even gotten to the real falling apart yet like yeah. the two groups of two huge groups of zealots going at it is bigger is has more potential for destructiveness than lords and ladies going to war with each other because they're at least somewhat sensible yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know they're at least they're they have all sorts of moral failings and they all you know they're all greedy a lot of them are greedy and hung up on, you know, concepts, you know, cycle of violence concepts like blood debts and things like this. But that just that pales in comparison yeah, they, to religious zealots who have a mind to burn people and who, you know, aren't they willing have, to compromise. The, the the nobility has more to lose, you know what I mean? They, mm. they care about their estate, their family, their legacy. The religious zealots are care about the afterlife. So they're willing yeah. to kill and die and burn everything in the meantime mm -hmm. to... Get all the virgins in heaven or whatever. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> okay, folks, it is finally that time. We are just over an hour and a half, 90 minutes into this episode. Finally time to talk about the final scene, set up by an earlier scene, which we should talk about first, with some interesting parallels, again, to this whole Lord of Light business that some people might not have caught. This is more obscure. I'm going to start with this, and that's the... The ritual of creating the first White Walker. Okay. A couple of details here. This is really cool. There's some very un interesting underlying themes and some fun things to go with it. First of all, the actor playing the guy getting sacrificed is the Night's King. That's the same actor playing Night's King, Vladimir Furtick. It's also the same guy who did all the sword fighting as Arthur Dane. Arthur Dane was two actors. Luke Rogers did the talking. Vladimir Furtick did the fighting. Like so, hey. down, you have a stunt double yeah. fights. Yeah. Knight's King is Arthur Dane. There's your new tinfoil. <laughs> no, but really, that's, that was pretty cool. They used the same Stop actor. confusing things, Aziz. Stop confusing things. <laughs> so, so, first of all, that was creepy as hell, right? Like, you see the, the children, like, they're whispering, and yeah. they're doing their ritual, and they just go up, and they jam the obsidian in his chest. And this is what I was talking about. Jamming a blade into his chest to make a weapon to fight against the ultimate enemy. Which, for the children, the ultimate enemy was mankind. It's humans, yeah. Now, consider the Lightbringer myth. Azor Ahai was... He came along to combat the darkness, the long night, which may have been caused by the creation of the White Walkers. And how is this stopped? What we're told by... It's funny that you mentioned him already in this episode. Salador Sand, getting two mentions in this episode. He tells Davos the story of Nissa Nissa, where he tried to make Lightbringer. And he tried... He First he made it, and, and it was... Forged the blade, put it in water, and it broke. Forged the blade, stuck it in a lion's heart, and it broke. Forged the blade, stuck it in his wife's heart, and it worked. Mm, yeah. And this was his magical thing. So it's almost like one myth showing us the creation of the White Walker. Well, not a myth. One story showing us the creation of the White Walkers that leads to the Long Night. And then on the other end, we have a similar type of tragic sacrifice sort of forcing a, a person you know jamming a blade into someone's heart to 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 save their people you know from something that was started because of their attacking the children and that's oh it's like this vicious cycle so i think that's really cool it really meta and it, you know it, it's it's a a lot of people were really surprised at this reveal of the children creating the white walkers and i, I can't say i was super surprised because it's been a theory in the fandom for a long time 
as, as, as us book readers. So I guess I kind of spoiled the books don't say one way or the other, but they do hint at the possibility. So I don't know if it's true in the books or not, but they, they hint at the possibility, so it could be true in the books too. So again, I don't think that was a book spoiler. I hope you guys don't see it that way. But so that's but that is why the idea wasn't a surprise. But seeing it confirmed, seeing it on screen was still just wah! It was so <laughs> cool and just creepy at the same time. Yeah. And, yeah. So what, I, I know I just went off on a rant there. What did, what did you think of it? Uh, the scene with the children and yeah, the just the first bit. We'll get to uh, Bran later or in a minute. I, I thought it was really interesting. I, I think it's uh, it, it creates a sort of uh, an irony. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the this world, this show, uh, is the getting you to to see good people do bad things or trying to do something good and it turning out bad. Yep. And uh, <clears throat> rooting for someone that you would be against. Uh, and so you don't, it's kind of great who good guys and bad guys are sometimes. So far, these children seem to be good, right? But we know almost nothing about them. We just see them defending characters we've been following, you know, mm -hmm. Mirren and Bran or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but it, they certainly look like they could be sinister. <laughs> right. And, and uh, <clears throat> But if you go back, you know, if you assume that there was this time thousands of years ago when they were the natives... And men came over and attacked them and cut down their land. They might need to fight back, but they don't have the strength or ingenuity of men, but they have magic, and so they use magic, and the magic got out of control. By the way, another parallel. You pointed this out. Uh, oh, the parallel there, creation, yeah. There, there's another character <laughs> who has brought someone uh, to... Yeah, to, to be a weapon of destruction. I'll explain that real quickly, uh, just to, to cut in there. What what's going on here? What I'm what I'm what he's referring to is something I talked about before this episode when we were getting ready to record. I pointed out it was one one parallel that wasn't present in here, which I think they maybe will will deal with. It's the whole idea of creating a weapon that gets out of hand, and who has done this exact same thing? Who else has made an undead monster that is supposed to go after your enemies? Well. Kyburn, he made yeah. the Unmountain. That's super like mountain. it's a microcosm of what the it's it's the same mistake the children made. Perhaps maybe not a mistake. Well, it's the same unexpected result that hasn't happened yet. I don't know if Gregor's going to get out of control. I have no idea if that's going to happen or not. But I think is a good chance of it. Partly because of this, it would be a beautiful, beautiful, dark, dark, <laughs> but cool, well-made parallel of of the. You know, this is what happens when you play with these forces. Of, yeah. You know, it's like, it's not just like bringing back the dead. You know, it's not so simple. That could be like the last image of the last scene of the last episode of the last <laughs> season. Like, it seems like everything's fine. Danny's on the throne. Tyrion's got a hot chick on his lap. <laughs> Bronn's drunk. And everyone's happy and the world is saved. And the Iron Throne and da 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 And then we see like Gregor Clegane's eyes open up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. and they're blue <laughs> i'm gonna jump in real quick just to say folks we're gonna i think we're gonna go two and a half hours today uh, as we go through this i think we're gonna be able to cover what we wanted to cover today in two and a half hours we'll do an extra half hour and then we will be back thursday to circle back answer questions handle all your comments and just deal with what we've gone through this season so far it's kind of a good transition point it's halfway through the season so we can cover that. We can cover more. What anything we miss in this brand scene? We, we'll obviously keep going on it now. But do that episode more like a Q and A, like we go off feedback. Yeah, and stuff we'll have that. some things to say on our own, some unprompted things. But we'll mostly do questions. A lot of them are emails that we've been getting over the last few weeks. Sometimes I just didn't have time to answer them. Didn't have time to even address them in a show, which is what we usually try to do. 
But we, this way we can kind of catch up on all those. A lot of you guys have sent in really good questions, things that we did not think of, things that we hadn't considered. So keep them coming. But honestly, I've never gotten more emails than we have after this episode. Yeah. This is the most full my inbox has ever been after an episode of Game of Thrones. 9.8 on IMDb again, I'll say that. And that's, so it's not a surprise that we got so much, but it also just created so many new questions. That's so weird because this was the most boring episode ever. <laughs> I don't understand. Nine point something, really, huh? So, uh, in, command decision in the middle of this, near the, well, in the second half of this episode, to recap, another episode on Thursday, mostly Q&A. This one will be two and a half hours total. So. Yeah, I haven't taken note. Like, when we do these live, people have the ability to, like... Give us feedback or ask questions or whatever. Or... Yeah, and this one I didn't. I don't know if I'd bother to turn the Q and A off on this. One. People might have posted questions to this episode. Yeah, I already but... didn't see them. So apologize for that. But no worries. Well, I'll look those questions up and we'll address them on Thursday. Yeah, so we've been pretty. We will be heard. Getting our own thoughts out. I'm sure if we started trying to address all the comments, this would be an eight-hour episode. Yeah, <laughs> it would feel like some of the plot lines a little bit, a bit rushed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> So uh, we don't want to rush. We want to have fun with this, and rushing isn't fun. We want to go over every every little detail deserves its own little discussion. If you're a fan of history of Westeros, that's what you know that you're that kind of person. You want that kind of detail. You want that kind of explanation. You want us to dwell on things. You want us to turn over every stone. So we'll do that. We'll keep working with it. So let's get back to it. Let's let's keep talking about Bran. The scene was just there's just so much we can say. So we've covered a bit of the first part which is the, the ritual that created the the white walkers in the first place one little extra detail about that is the tree and the stones surrounding it this is not the first time we've seen that the pattern the spiral pattern yeah. of those stones is, appears in a few places in that season one episode one in the in the very first episode the bodies that will and garrett and waymar royce find are strewn about in the pattern and then in season two or is it three i forget I think Two? it was three. I think it was three. Okay, beginning maybe beginning of season three when there's the conflict, when there's the fight at the fist of the first men, when they fight the when Sam is saved and all that. I can't remember exactly where it is. The horses are strewn about in a spiral. Yeah. And it's that same spiral pattern. So this is kind of neat that they've thought this far ahead on that. Which some things they don't they don't always think that far ahead and they have to change midstream and kind of usually they do a good job of it. This one they didn't have to do a good job of it. It was set up in advance. So that's good. And uh, we don't really know what the spiral means. You know, it's just kind of a symbol of, it's a common symbol for infinity. For It's it's kind of got a mystical feel to it. Maybe it's just, that's why they did it. But I, I thought it was a nice touch. Maybe I like the stones. Maybe it's just a coincidence. <laughs> Maybe the horse is just running around and they attacked him and they just like fell down in a perfect little spiral. So the stone, so we see the same spot. It's like this is the the place where the White Walkers were created is like their home. This is where they. This is where Bran finds them in his vision. They're just standing there in front of that tree, basically. I don't know why they're just standing there. They're waiting for something. I don't know. They're just re recouping their energy. Resting. Resting. Yeah. That's what they do. They just sit there on their horses. <laughs> hey, that's how undead do. Just, just undead things. <laughs> that's their deal. So there's uh, the underlying deal with, you know, this, is whole, this has been going on a long time. This is super ancient. How long ago did this happen? You know, before there were White Walkers. That means this is before the Night's Watch was a thing. So this is this vision was really old, and it kind of goes with what uh, the Three Eyed Raven was saying: is like, I, you, I need to show you everything. <laughs> you know, you need to see everything. But there wasn't time for everything. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was kind of a uh, an ominous moment when first when he grabbed him. I was like, 
I remember that from the trailer, from the preseason uh, trailer. Right? Yeah, there uh, were several things in the like preseason trailers moment. that happened in this, this and, episode. And so you, you kind of know what's coming. I still didn't quite expect it at that moment. And also, in the trailer, you're just saying, oh, it's, it's a vision, it's a dream, it's yeah. a nightmare. But you're yeah. like, oh, that shit was real. That was <laughs> I felt my arm get cold. Uh, it definitely you know, got my, my heart racing and my mind spinning. And... Uh, and Bran was afraid to admit it, you know, when he kind of came back from a vision. He's like, did he touch you? He's like, I don't know. He's kind of close. I don't know. Maybe he touched he you. Touched right you. He touched you. He touched you. Don't fuck around. <laughs> yeah. That was, uh, was kind of a scary, ominous moment. Yeah. And almost immediately, he's like, Bran's like, he's like, you need to become me. He's like, am I ready? He's like, no, you're not ready. And like, mm-hmm. immediately, they went back into a trance. And, uh, let's, let's, let's. and I thought for sure we were going to... That trance was gonna be like, quick! I gotta show you who your father really is. I gotta show you or who your who your your brother really is. I thought for sure we were gonna see some key insightful moment. Uh, that's a big question we're gonna have to answer in a minute. But yeah. I want to I'm gonna go back in time a little farther, or maybe not back in time, but I want to ask a question that I don't know how to answer. I have a few ideas, but I want to get your thoughts on it. What changed for the children? They were at war with mankind, and and in terms of history, what we're told is that. The the wise the the wise people of both races prevailed and realized that this would just be an endless war that they're you know they're just the children versus the, the versus men is just an endless fight they're both slaughtering each other both sides some sort of accord has to happen and they have what's called the pact which was signed on the Isle of Faces which is a little island in the in, in the God's Eye Lake which is nicely positioned basically in the center of the continent I don't know if that's meaningful but it's certainly noteworthy and. Maybe they're just trying to uphold the pact. They're like, yeah, well, we agreed not to fight mankind anymore. Because, so we're going to uphold that by trying to stop the White Walkers, which we didn't, which we unleashed on them, but now to uphold the pact, we're going to have to stop them. But the problem is, mankind didn't really hold up its end of the bargain either, because that pact was with the first men. But then the Andals come. And the Andals are like, we didn't have that pact. They went back to slaughtering chopping down werewoods there weren't enough children around for them to go to full blown war with them but you got to figure a few animals killed a few children here and there maybe and then they went full into hiding now this is loosely what the history is of course ancient 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 history in the world doesn't have to be accurate because how why would it be it's not like someone wrote this down you know it's not like there's written records of this This or the person who wrote it down was completely accurate or spoke the same language exactly plenty of reasons to doubt that that the story is completely true but the seed of truth is probably in there somewhere yeah so what changed why did the children turn do they think do they see the white walkers as potentially capable of destroying everything that would be an explanation. That would be a satisfactory explanation. Well, Not that I'm unsatisfied. I just don't know. Uh, so you're you're posing this question to me, but it's something I hadn't really considered or even realized. I hadn't even thought that the children change. I wasn't thinking of it like that. I mean, they've had a long but, time to flip. Ten thousand years, eight thousand years, five thousand years. I don't know. But well, here's the thing. The, the, that's a long time. <laughs> I think to, I'm going to answer your question with a different question. What's been in my mind? What changed about the White Walkers? Mm. right like yeah. maybe the thing that's making the children change is not is some it's not so much what's making them change they're responding to some different change yeah we've gone all this time without anyone knowing or caring much about white walkers and all yeah, of where a sudden it's an issue mm-hmm. right yeah, what happened what uh, changed so what's changed for them and maybe it's like what uh, did some, something trigger to bring them back right right is it something about 
it's cyclical. The winter, you know, yeah. the patterns of the planets. Is it magical? Something is related it something... to the, is it the same reason the dragons came back to the world? But of course, the dragons only left the world like 150 years ago, and the walkers haven't been seen for thousands of years. So it's yeah. kind of like, well, are those other things really connected? Yeah, could Maybe be. The but the chronology is making up for the dragons. And as they make up for it, maybe their power increases, and maybe there's some sort of balancing act among the gods. Maybe yeah. the Lord of the Light is like, hey, Drown God, what's up with these fucking White Walkers? <laughs> I'm going to bring the dragons back. What are you going to do? I ain't doing Wouldn't nothing. Wouldn't it be just the <laughs> ultimate reversal, trope reversal, the ultimate like flip to have the reason the White Walkers came back is to stop the dragons from destroying, like, from getting <laughs> loose and destroying Restoros. Like, I don't think that's the case, but it would be, it's kind of cool to think about that possibility. It's like, they are coming back because of this threat. In theory, but think about how that would play out. What is Zombies going to do against a dragon? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, I uh, I don't know, like, mumbling around. Swing that ice sword. Like, he's yeah. a little hot. I can't reach him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just out of uh, practicality, I don't think that could be it. Uh, but I think it could be that the dragons have come back to stop the White Walkers. That would make some sense. Yeah, that could be. But of course, they and that does fit timeline wise better because the White Walkers came back, as we saw, at least in the pilot, if not before. Like, it probably yeah. came back before. That was the first human, now, like, non wildling contact with them in the modern timeline. And the dragons clearly came at the end of the season. Now, it does bring up another thing. There's something else that's been going on for a while. I, I want to say years. Maybe a generation or two. Craster's been giving up his sons. So the white and all those, all those children looked female. Every single one of them were, was female. All of them were female. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if that's a factor too. Yeah, right. Like I don't know. Like if they're made, if they made the White Walkers from human men, then I don't know. But maybe it's just the White Walkers looking for a way to reproduce. And this is their way of, they can't reproduce yeah. normally because they're crazy magical beings. And so this is their, yeah. So it's, it's anything, is it, all these possibilities from they're using the babies to make new White Walkers from it's, it's necessary for there's some sort of, sort of sustenance for them to live to it's just a sacrifice. It's an offering to be left yeah. alone. You know, like we did see the baby open its eyes and they were blue and they turned it blue. And yeah. I remember even kind of joking about, does it? Grow up? Is this yeah, like, so all these, it, like toddler zombies, or do they have to like change the zombie <laughs> baby's diaper? Yeah, white so? toddler. Like, you can't walk till before you can white walk. You must yeah, white, white toddle, toddle and white crawl. You <laughs> white crawl, white toddle, white walk. Ooh, uh, good pun, huh? I'll, I like that pun there. Normally, crawls. I shake my head at my own puns, but I, I get, I'll pat myself on the back for that one. <laughs> um, anyway, I wonder how big, long Craster has been giving up here. his babies, right? Because like there were no boys like i can't have been just like a year or even two years this gotta have been like 10 see everyone at the wall seemed to know that's the deal that's what he does Rasher uh, does that yes yeah, so maybe that's yeah. what was getting them slowly building their strength back up but it seems like how much could he have built to say he gave them 30 kids which that's kind of terrible as it seems is mm -hmm. that relative it's not that much they have armies of thousands and thousands it doesn't seem like 30 more is gonna make that big a difference uh well, the infant mortality rates in Westeros, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, it seems like it could be some sort of a factor. But what I'm really pointing out, though, is that they have had a presence, a presence more than just for the past couple years. Yes. And what presence they had before Craster, if any, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, what started it? What came first, yeah. the, the the walker or the offered baby? Yeah. Like, some white walker had to come collect that first baby. That's what, because... You know, something told Craster to do this in the first place. Yeah. 
And, you know, to be fair, Danny, like, just, it was in her head, like, I'm the mother of dragons, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to do this, I'm gonna walk into the flames, like, something was driving her. Yeah. We don't you know, know so like, maybe uh, something drove Craster to just, like, well, I'm leaving my male children out. Maybe, maybe it was some ancient tradition that some wildlings have had for a long time, and that it was carried over by his mother, you know, his mother taught this to him, and... Something like that. Who knows? But Maybe there's an element of not, randomness to it. It even. could be. Yeah. But we don't see other wildlings do it. We don't hear about right. other wildlings right. doing it. So it's not exactly. like if it's a tradition, it's a narrow, it's like a, a thin sect of wildlings are doing yeah. it. It's not like a, it's clearly not like a widespread, which kind of makes sense because the wildlings are not a united culture. There's like yeah. literally hundreds of tribes that have But they still you know, know that thins are cannibals. They still, you know, some tribes are known by some yeah, other tribes at least. That's and you true. would think if it was common among very many tribes to give up their babies to white walkers, it, Someone would have meant said something at this point, you know. Yeah. So, uh, so I I don't know if it's like how much cause or effect it is in the White Walkers course, but it's a clue as to how long it's been going on. If nothing else, we know that they didn't just now appear. That first scene we saw this episode, they didn't yeah. just now. They were they were probably there before Bran was born, even. Quite that's, possibly. What, that's what I'm gonna suppose. Yeah, based on possibly. the number, I mean, not that old, so based on the number and yeah. age of the women with at Crasher's Keep, uh, I think that it, I was starting to think if if it might have been tied into some other yeah. occurrence, you know, like the Red Comet. No, the Red Comet just happened when Bran was born, or some other Stark here. No, I, I don't think so. Maybe, yeah. maybe Rhaegar being killed. Maybe the last dragon dying. Maybe the last dragon dying. Maybe, maybe that's long ago enough for like the, the zombies to wake up. Yeah, that could be dragons. It. it could be something like that. And they start building their force, spreading out. They run into Craster, and that's kind of a coincidence. But they start taking his sons. There start to be sightings. The wildlings start. It might take a few generations for them to wake up and raise a force and be noticed. But may, maybe that could be. Yeah, close to the right timeline. You wonder also, did they just make the one? Did they just make knights? Because, like as I said, that cleared that appeared to oh, be the children the, of the forest. Yeah, that yeah. appeared to be Night King. That guy, because it's that actor, yeah. and it was that you know that that moment. Two things about that. One is that so they, maybe they just made the one, and he reproduced, and that was part of what they didn't expect or intend. And he reproduced through well, he's a being, and he wanted to replicate, just like any living creature does. They seek to rep spread their genes and become so that was the you know, and they're a nature magic kind of or entity. Like the yeah. children are like tied to nature, and nature finds a way. You know, nature always you know comes through. Nature survives, you know, and thrives even through the harshest winter. It always comes, you know, it always just self propagates. And so it would be kind of this interesting dichotomy. that's like solitary magical being that was created for a purpose but it still wants to live and propagate itself and so it finds a way to do that the the walkers themselves i was thinking about what you said about how they maybe like maybe some of these ones are more recently born if they were created from craster's children and i wonder there's no physical there's nothing i can tell about them physically that that makes me think this i almost look at them and they all look like they're really 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 old you know, like the way that they have white hair. Well, the nice King doesn't have any hair. But yeah. the other ones have white hair. And they just, they look really, really old. Uh, so maybe that's just part of the transformation. But it almost says to me that they're, you know, that they, they yeah, I don't see how that could fit. But I guess it's just part of the magic. Like magic can explain a lot. You know? Yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to point out, though, is that they're both made and unmade by Obsidian. Which yeah. Which is kind of yeah. neat. Like he yeah. they were made through this ritual of magic by jamming Obsidian in there. It's also... You know, they're kryptonite, to use the, the best example. The White Walkers are like Superman. 
<laughs> maybe they can fly maybe they will beat the dragons yeah it's, it's not a straight parallel to krypton because you know kryptonite isn't what made superman it is his weakness but krypton the planet he's from it it's yeah. his origin so it's, it's it doesn't fit perfectly but it's it's the first thing that came to mind when i saw it and then when i started talking to sean it's the first thing he thought of too and i brought that point up he was like like superman i was like we both went to the same yeah. spot in our minds there so that's pretty cool i like that um I'm sure there's better parallels out there of, of something. Send them to it. By the way, if you folks out there listening, let us know. Give us better parallels than that. Better than Superman. Better than Superman. <laughs> no. <laughs> better than Krypton versus Obsidian. But it's a similar kind of thing. It's just, you know, kind of a mystical substance that causes a weakness to something that's otherwise extremely powerful. Yeah. And it's just unbelievably potent against them, whereas nothing else is. So it's kind of a, in that sense, there's a lot of familiarity there. And, uh, yeah, it's, it is, I think, I think calling Obsidian their kryptonite is pretty fair. <laughs> More so now than ever. Um, but yeah, so what do you think about those things? Do you think that there's any, is that, does that tie into anything for you? That mysticism, the, the connection between Obsidian being there? I mean, I like, Obsidian's called Frozen Fire. You know, that's its other name oh, for yeah? it. So that's really neat that they made that. It's a good, you know, name symbology fitting in with the whole mysticism i'm struggling to find the right words for it but mm-hmm. i think you guys know where i'm coming from um so yeah it's really hard to, to unpack that and figure out like the mystery behind it all it's something i think we're going to keep learning more yeah. about although brand doesn't have someone telling him anymore it's not yes his yeah. visions aren't guided now, the way they would he may, be I, that is the thing i'm wondering if he'll still get visions i'm sort of guessing and hoping that he, he will, will. But yeah. maybe they won't. Be like he did one on his own. We saw him do one on his own just before. Like that's what got them in trouble yeah. going out on his own. Yeah. <laughs> You'll assume he'll be more careful next time. But still, it's uh, he showed that he can do it. Yeah, I. Uh, He's, although I he guess he needs to find another werewolf. Reaching the branch of the tree where the raven was, and he may. Yeah. Maybe any branch will do it. Maybe well, any werewolf, werewolf branch, would do it. I think that's kind of what I'm thinking. Although he stayed in the vision when he was pulled away from the branch at the end there. And we know that other wargs have had visions without being near werewoods or yeah. branches. They can certainly see through their animals, anything, right? Yeah. yeah. So Brand could do that through uh, his wolf before uh, he had any idea of his destiny or his power or met this blood raven character or anything. So yeah. He had visions of the three eyed raven and so on. So I, I, I'm sure it's also a great storytelling tool. I'm sure we're going to get more visions. Yeah, I, I do. I do too. And there are other details that we'll go into in the trailer discussion that hint, hint one way or the other in that direction. So yeah, we'll have more to say on that by the end of the episode. But for now, there's still plenty more to talk about uh, in this scene. What about, are there, are there, like you were saying, are there any more? Is there another way for him to get back to visions? Are there any children left? Or were those the like the last ones? Yeah. Are they dead now? I don't know if there there could be somewhere out there somewhere. Or maybe they're maybe their part of the story is maybe we can assume there's still some out there, but their part of the story is done. Maybe. Yeah, I I feel like almost anything I start to talk about, I'm just gonna go on and on and on and talk about everything. It's the so nature of this plot. Like, it's ready fine. To jump we'll into just, it. Yeah, just go for it and uh, we'll, we'll keep we'll just keep going. We'll keep so, hammering away at it. <laughs> I'll start with this. Here are one of my thoughts. Even when they get through this door. I feel like that's not there. Now we're safe. There's still like just thousands of these zombies out there hunting them down. These super monsters tracking them down. It seemed to even be able to kind of detect where they are. Maybe they were only able to detect his, his that mark is the on presence at that tree. Yeah. Maybe the mark let them get through its enchantment or whatever. Um, but uh, but it still seems like they're just randomly going to bump into bad guys out there. And I feel like it, they're not safe. There's this 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 moment has passed, but moments are coming. And I don't see how Mira is going to fight these hordes off for this 
body. I don't even know how long she can drag him along. It's like, yeah. by the way, have you ever tried to drag a, uh, what do you call it? A sledge. Uh, a sledge. Uh, yeah. There's another word for it. A gurney. Anyway, sure. point is, also Brent, he's not a little kid anymore. He's like six <laughs> feet tall. Like this, is, this girl's not going to be able to get so far. She's going to need food. Yeah, it they're seems gonna like they're going to need help. Yeah, they're going to need so much. There's uh, help has got to come, you know, uh, in some form, maybe magical, uh, maybe something really crazy like Benjamin Starkle right up out of nowhere or something like I that. Wonder where uh, he is for a long. But maybe time. there's more children. Maybe we saw like half a dozen or ten or something there. Are those the only ones left anywhere, or are those just the ones nearby? That yeah. tree, are they at every tree? I I kind of think what needs to happen, what makes sense, is more children going to show up to help protect and guide them. Um, maybe some more, so other sort of mystical thing, they'll find some other protected, enchanted tree to, to hide in or a cave or something. Uh, but they're... They're far north. They can't even if they're really like far. we have to get we have to get out of here. Let's go south where it's safe. All right. Three weeks later, as they trudge the snow with no one coming across them or tracking them in the snow <laughs> or finding food along the way, they don't even have their wolf anymore. That's my sad moment, by the way. They don't have the wolf anymore to help them. Too hunt, many wolf you know? deaths this season. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I, they're still in a dire situation. No pun intended. They're still in a, a dire situation here. Uh, and that that was like a strong thought in in my head, uh, which I wanted to bring up because you were wondering if there are more children, um, and and if there are more, is there like two more, or twenty thousand more? Yeah. I feel like if there's a huge number of them, they could just take on this this army themselves. I, I feel like it's got to be a pretty small amount, or they would have been seen more, they would have been noticed more, they would have more power on themselves. It also seemed like their their magic wasn't as very effective against the White Walkers. For example, they were throwing their fireballs. They weren't trying to throw those fireballs at the Walkers. They were throwing it, past them to kill to take out yeah, the zombies. This, I, it's almost fact, like they knew it wouldn't work. They're exactly. like, this, isn't, this, this can only stop those guys. It won't stop yeah. these guys. I had a yeah. couple, I had one of my thoughts as I was watching it, because they, they threw three or four, and they lit that ring in front of them, and the White Walkers just kept coming. They didn't even seem to aim at him. Then they retreated inside. And I'm like, keep throwing those things. Why'd you, that was working. <laughs> but it was only working so well. I, I, I kind of decided in my mind, they must know that it's not going to stop them. And in fact, it's only we've, slow them down. we've seen them just walk through fire before anyway. They just like, they just like freeze it yeah. out, move through it. And that's exactly so what they did. Yeah, It might be effective against the, the more zombie characters, but not the leader characters. Yeah. And... Uh, <clears throat> They, they, yeah, they, they seem to be as helpless as as the men, you know, <laughs> trying yeah. to fight against these guys. So, I guess so far the only thing we've seen be effective is these obsidian weapons mm-hmm. oh, uh, and uh, and uh, flare and steel, right? Flare and steel, John's yes, right. yes, absolutely. Uh, but that's something I can see how maybe that knowledge might have been lost among men after thousands of years. Even obsidian weapons they might have had on hand to fight White Walkers early on, but eventually White Walkers aren't an issue anymore. But we still have to fight bears and wildlings and giants or something like that. Yeah. And obsidian is too brittle; it snaps. We need steel. You know what I mean? And so they lost the knowledge of the value of the obsidian. But the children should know, I would yeah. think, right? So that, I, I mean, the, the one did have the spear. That was that yeah, was her spear. In yeah. fact, I did notice at the entrance to the cave there were several spears stacked up there. They were ready. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. So, and and the dagger that, that Leaf ripped the one zombie's head off with when it came down through the she stabbed it in the eye and then kind of ripped its head off. That yeah. looked, appeared to be obsidian blade. Uh, 
It so, certainly was black or dark. Or yeah, I remember thinking what a, a loss it was at Hard Home when they had this stash, and he was like, "Fuck it, we got to get out of here." And they lost their whole stash of obsidian. I was like, "Oh, what a what a loss!" A few more people. I wonder if it would have been worth John's life to to save that. If if it could have even, maybe it's true. Maybe everyone just dies and you don't get it if you don't yeah. get back out of there. Is it worth trying to go back to Hard Home to find that? No one's brought that up, you know. <laughs> but uh, but I kind of assume and hope that the children. There are going to be some more of them, and they're going to have some weapons that will work. Yeah. Uh, maybe some magic that will work. I would also think, if not already, by now, the Night King's going to be like, all right, let's, hey guys, look out for those obsidian things. That's <laughs> <laughs> the third one. Who, how did that? Yeah. Let's uh, all be right. a little more careful. Team meeting here. Yeah, let's team meeting. Let's do something about the obsidian. Intervention, here. intervention, intervention. <laughs> 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 for those of you Sunny fans. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Which they're not of. They don't like anything at all. No, they're not sunny. sunny, Yeah, Yeah. yeah. it's Um, always sunny Winterfell. All right, so let's see what else. Uh, Here's another thought I had. This is another thing I want to think about. Talking about Bran and his visions and what he might have. I wonder if right now, at the closing moment of the show, he might be stuck in that vision. I don't think he ever came out of it. Not that we saw. Not that we saw. You're right. It was. I had a hard time being clear about. When or if he was controlling Hodor, when or if he was in the vision or the memory still, if he was controlling Hodor in the vision, the young Hodor, th- this is this is my thought, and I and I, some of it might be answered by looking back at old episodes, but it still might be too hazy or too undefined. But here's one thought: I have eighteen. I'm going to try to get this on. <laughs> uh, Hodor seemed to shut down. We've seen him do this before, sort of like just like he got sit prayed. down. Yeah. Close his eyes, say Hodor over and over again. And in the past, uh, Bran has been able to, like, take over his body and make him be quiet or make him fight or whatever. Uh, and it seemed like that's what Mira was wanting here. She's like, we need Hodor. Hodor. She couldn't get Hodor She's respond. Morgan Hodor. We need Morgan you. Hodor. We need to get you to know yeah. Hodor, right? Uh, so then when Bran, sort of our clue to when he does it is his eyes gloss over. Yeah, right? just, yeah, split second of but, white eye, yeah. But we get that same thing when he goes into the vision, too. Mm-hmm. So which thing is a vision and which thing is warging? It's, it's yeah. hard to say. Now, the the thing is, he seemed to have his eyes were staying white this whole time. Mm-hmm. And maybe his eyes would be open or closed, but Hodor def- definitely seemed to, like, come to stand up, Start fighting. Yeah. You know what I mean? It is. But at what point, and even in the past, at what point was Bran still controlling him? At what point does he, like, get in his mind, say, Hodor, do this thing. Look, Hodor. And he starts doing that thing. Does Bran still stay in there the whole time, completely controlling him? Or is it enough to kind of, like, initiate the action and Hodor's on his own once he understands what Bran wants? Part of me wants for Hodor to be even more of a hero than he might be already. I tend to, like, Look for the best. I, I'm in the sparrow. I'm trying to assume that he has a more altruistic, genuine intention of getting people to be more humble and pious. That he's not just maneuvering for power. Yeah. He may also be maneuvering for power, but I tend to be looking for the positive. I remember even sure. Jamie in the beginning. He seems so despicable. It's like incestuous and he murders a kid and all this stuff. But if you can kind of, you know, I was trying to play devil's advocate with Jamie's character, and I try to do it with almost even a good characters. I try to see, well, they fucked this thing up. They have Ned had just done X, Y, Z, you know. But uh, you know, Jamie, in this culture, the reigning power for centuries and incest was like in 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 our world, in our times, with our modern knowledge and uh, expectations, 
it's this negative, taboo, disgusting even thing. I suspect part of it is from like uh, you know, the genetic issues. Yeah. And also yeah, because exactly. typically <laughs> I imagine a lot of times incest in the past, you know, would have been like an older physical brother raping his younger sister or something like that, right? Yeah, I guess but, you're right. That probably happens. And that, that, would, that would be like Certainly frowned upon with, and negative and you would try yeah. to stop it, you know. And it Certainly happens be, with fathers and uncles and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so that's not the case with Jamie and Cersei. They seem to be genuinely in love and it's, it's an established, you know, precedent in this scenario. Yeah. And when he tries to kill Bran there, what we see is this little boy. Oh, no, he killed a little boy. And he's but, cocky about it, too, so it makes it, he sells again, it Again, think yeah. about the conversation Robert was having about killing Danny. Like, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. This little boy is going to go tell? It, it, heads are going to roll. A war is going to start. Thousands of people are going to die. Arguably the lesser evil. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe we just trust him not to say anything. You know what I mean? Like, no, you can just see. It's, it's not like Jamie wants to go out and kill kids. He just realized... This is terrible. Yeah. That he can, his mind could spin. He's he's a man. He's been next to kings. He knows what's going to, he knows the deal. And the same reason Ned warned Cersei what he was going to do. Ned was trying to protect her kids. He knows that the other kid, the other Baratheon, he knows Marcella and Joffrey, they're, they're going to get killed. Yeah. If Brand, if this had, you know, all right, I'm going to kill this one little kid instead of all these other little kids and all these soldiers and all these empires yeah, coming to. A moral dilemma of the highest so, order. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all that's a tangent. I'm trying to find the positive people. And yeah. Hodor is also is already positive, but I want it to be even more so. I don't want it to be Bran controlling Hodor to, to, to make that a sacrifice. Yeah, I, want is, Bran, I want Hodor to be doing it on his own. I kind of agree with you, but it does sort of fit with the theme of this. The tragedy of, like, for example, the parallel here. The children of the forest make some sacrifice a being. Of course, it's an enemy. Yeah. In their case, yeah. sacrifice an enemy to save themselves, even though they know it's going to create, you know, massive destruction and kill lots of enemies. Bran can't save the world if he doesn't sacrifice Hodor to it. You know, and it's also just, a, it's not like he planned it. Like you said, it's not like he, Jamie didn't plan to kill Bran. It was just like, yeah. spur of the moment, like, I got to do this. It's like, Bran has to make a spur of the moment decision that, that most of us would not be comfortable with saying. Bran saying, like, I'm more important than Hodor. Well, he yeah. is. He is more important than Hodor. Well, uh, everyone thinks he's more important than other people. Well, I mean, but but yeah, yeah. I agree. We maybe have this yeah. perspective watching your show play out. Like, but, if we want the world, we, if we yeah. truly believe that Bran is necessary to stop the White Walkers just conquering everything, then yeah, yeah. Bran's more important. Hodor's not yeah. going to stop that. You know, and it's like, ah, it just sucks because you have to admit that, yeah, sometimes some people, like, in, in terms of the greater good, if that's really the greater good, which I'm assuming that it is, that a as awful as humanity is, and especially Westeros humanity can be, you know, yeah. I can still say that the humanity is not nearly as awful <laughs> as an all white Walker world would be. I would imagine that's worse. So it's like, yeah, it's like the lesser of two evils. This isn't good versus evil. It's just the lesser of two evils constantly. It's like, all which white, is less bad? An all white Walker world looks pretty peaceful. <laughs> They're just chilling. They're just standing there. <laughs> not even nature could be there though. Like, cause as we saw, that was an area of greenery before. Yeah. Yeah. The walkers, even like they, like even nature was destroyed there. I mean, the tree was still there, but the it was, it was a dead tree Maybe pretty much. Maybe it was winter. Are you sure they destroyed it? Maybe the children destroyed it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, they, in a, indirectly they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and if they caused the long night, which it seems like they did, if, if you know, if the walkers came and maybe the walkers caused the long night after the children made them. Yeah, like who started the fire? You know, wh whose fault is it? You know, yeah. if the fire gets out of control, if you know, all I do is the first spark. Well, you did the first spark. Ah, yeah. 
But yeah, so hey, someone made the flint. Someone, uh... <laughs> that's true. So it's a it's a moral conundrum, like with with Bran and 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 Hodor. Yeah, I agree with you though. It's not. It's it's a little bit. It's, it's, the scene was really powerful, really emotional. It definitely like got me. As much as I have some criticism, I do have some criticisms of it. Because like I'm like you, the time travel paradox doesn't sit quite right with me. But I love the scene anyway because it was just really powerful. It was well acted. That kid had like a tiny role. All he does is do is at, fall over and and do this thing, and he did it really well. He was really emotional. He was really like, you know, he was jerking around. He didn't know what to do. It was it was strong. It was emotionally strong. And and as much as people loved Hodor, it was just heartbreaking. And of course, we just lost Summer right before it. By the way, Summer's death, prophetic. And meaningful thematically as well. The death of summer. Summer, yeah. Literal yeah. death of summer. That's what the White Walkers represent. The end of summer. Like, ugh. Onset of winter. Man, it's almost like he has to die there. It's like part of it. But it was so un... It was kind of un-epic. It was just like, oh, there's summer. Yeah, we hadn't seen him in forever. And then, oh, now he's dead. Damn. Yeah. But that's to me, he's a casualty of direwolf CGI being expensive and then having <laughs> to spend on other things. Like, I really think that's it. Hopefully... They're just concentrating all the direwolf budget on some awesome ghost and maybe Nymeria scenes because Nymeria's out there somewhere. We haven't yeah. even heard of her, but she exists. Maybe she'll come back to the story. Ghost is certainly, you know, in there. Maybe go like maybe Ghost will be the one to kill Ramsey. That'd be nice. Uh, so, but anyway, that was a distraction within distractions of this <laughs> never-ending topic that we're doing our best to try to hammer down on, and we're just so confused. Okay, so let's. Let's talk about the what we're what we've been told a little bit from the behind the scenes stuff is that the three eyed raven did not realize how quickly the walkers would come. He knew that they were coming, so there's a big question that's out there: like, why were they looking at the scene of Winterfell? They know the walkers are coming, yeah, and they're spending time looking at like Rickard Stark sending Ned off to the Vale. At first, it's like the the critic in me is like, what the hell is that about? Why are they looking at that? Yeah. Of all things, like, tell them more about the walkers, like, how to beat them, like, you know, tell them more about the origin. But the just wait and see part of me is like, well, maybe there was something to be, that was really important in that vision that we were about to see that was cut yeah, off just before the end. It's hard to imagine yeah. what that could have been, but the limits of my imagination are not a good reason to be critical, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's the same with, and I want to expand that idea on something else, which is the whole concept of time and this being a time paradox. Like, some people see it as a loop. I see it as a time loop. I see it as kind of like, it doesn't really, I don't understand how that works. It doesn't fit necessarily to me. But that's also a human limitation. This is very meta. Again, I'm using that term. We humans are all limited by our perception of time and how it works. The way we perceive time is not the way that every other being in this universe necessarily perceives time. You know, whether you're, a, you're the most spiritual person possible or a complete atheist, we just don't know. You know, some people have their beliefs, some people have their things. The perception of time is, is it, possibly it's an entire human, con it's entirely a human concept. Well, in fact, we do, without getting too scientific here, we do know a little bit. Yeah. Time is relative. Yes. That's, and we know, in fact, it's not just this vague theory that Einstein came up with. We use it in practical application. Yes. Satellites going around the Earth have to have their clocks calibrated because at higher rates of speed, you travel through time more slowly. Yes. And the, the, our cell phones wouldn't work if we didn't. If the, this is a real scientific thing, time is relative. Absolutely. When you're closer to a greater amount of mass or moving at a higher speed, time moves more slowly. And usually it has to be extreme amounts. Like satellites going around space are like 40,000 miles an hour and they lose like a tenth of a second every three years. It's very, very minor, but it is real. And it's 
if we want to talk something about this. Sci-fi something sci-fi authors that we battle can, with right, a lot. <laughs> something we can point out is there are aspects of how time progresses that we can't necessarily fully understand or conceive or explain, and there is the potential for maybe something like this happening. Yeah. So, uh, so that's why I'm saying, like, when I use the point about the limitations of my own imagination are not is not a good justification for thinking that scene was incomplete. Yeah. Or for thinking it lacks an explanation, just like this. Like, just because we, our perception of time makes us think that that's a loop and makes it a paradox, that doesn't mean it really is. Yeah. Like, and that's also, human perception. It, uh, what's, who's to say there can't be a loop or a paradox? I think, for example, uh, again, I don't want magic, I don't want to, like, blow off uh, plot holes or go, oh, well, magic takes care of that. But I don't know if this is necessarily any kind of pothole. Yeah, you know I agree. what I mean. This is just a dramatic moment. It's a backstory of a character. It's a progression of what's happening next. Uh, I don't think this is like, well, now nothing makes sense because I don't think it's a big problem in the first place. Um, and it was set and, up, right? And if right, and right, uh, let's let's explain. And that. you can't even get some explanations. And there are other magical things that are also problematic. For example, I'm pretty sure. There's no science behind a dragon flying. There's just no way the, the wingspan <laughs> too much mass. Get, right? Yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? Like, but it, so we accept whatever. It's just a dragon. It's a vision. It's an image. It's a thing we yeah, know it's just from cool. fantasy. It's awesome. yeah. There could be some magic behind it. Whatever. But the, uh, but like, I even wondered at one point if if it was even a paradox. If maybe he was bringing him to this moment to to see Hoda. There wasn't cause and effect in this vision. Yeah, that he wanted to show him this vision of the. How Hodor came to be, what he yeah. is. Hodor had this moment, which is going to save your life, and he's been crippled because of it. And you've been crippled from this moment of your life, but you've also been led to this greater destiny. And yeah. maybe it was caused by this moment. I'm not sure, but I, I've gone back and forth thinking a lot of different ways. Um, we remember before when Bran yelled out to Ned. Is that what you're going to say a second ago? Yes, uh, in the Vision Tower yeah. joy scene, yes. Bran, Bran yells out to Ned, and Ned seemed to hear it. He turned and looked around and couldn't see anything. I kind of equated that to, like, in this moment, how Bran was... Uh, <clears throat> it was this audio that, that Ned heard, right? And you, we saw that Bran in this vision... He can hear the audio, like in his mind, he's hearing Mira, wake up, we need you, wake up, wake up. And he's hearing that in his mind. And it's something that's being projected toward Hodor, Hmm. not toward Bran, it's being projected toward Hodor, hold the door is what's being yelled at Hodor. But Bran is hearing it, and Bran, that audio that he's hearing is being projected out into this vision. he couldn't wake up, yeah. Right, and, and... Hodor is hearing this thing that's being directed toward... I wonder if Bran had yelled out, uh, Boogie Boogie Boogie, if Ned would have heard that. But he yelled out, Father. He yelled to so his directed at him. Mm. What's the the thing that... If, if right now what Bran, mm. what Hodor is hearing is being directed at Hodor. It, like, is he hearing Bran. it in his mind rather than hearing it as a sound? Right, it, it's like just... It's a physical it's, sound. Like, if right. someone else had been with Ned... Or like Howland was there. Did Howland hear that? Would Howland have heard it? Did no, Howland hear right, that? We don't right. know. It wasn't. It wasn't right. shown to this us. This is in a way something that we can that's tell. being directed specifically towards Hodor, so it's having yes. an, an effect on him. Yeah. Uh, but also, Mira's yelling it, and that's what she's saying. So it's like she's yeah. yelling it, and Bran is thinking it because he hears her, and Bran is projecting it into past Hodor, and that's yeah, that's our yeah. loop, I think. Yeah. But there's but, yeah. I, I so I'm okay with it. Yeah. ways I could come up with the explanations of how magic works. I feel like it's almost silly to try to give 
physical yeah. scientific explanation. I mean, how, how do we works. explain Danny's dragons yeah. being born, for example? Yeah. Like, or we've her already that, living that kind through of the fire. Exists. Why didn't her hair burn up? You know, yeah. like, I feel it's nitpicky. Uh, I agree. To, I agree. To, to get too caught up and in it. And it kind of misses the point because this was a powerful, like, the emotion behind the right. scene is right. really the sac- you know, the, the, the point the, is that a sacrifice is being made. And I'd yeah. rather debate over whether or not Hodor is choosing to make it or Bran is forcing yeah. him to do it. I agree. All these things we're talking about, but to me, I'm with you. Yeah, that's more interesting to me. Like, trying to unpack the magic is just, well, yeah, we can't. <laughs> yeah. We can explain what we know. We can lay it all out, but we can't have conclusions. Yeah. And sometimes I will say, to be fair, I think sometimes it, you may not be able to fully explain it or understand it, but you need to get to a certain level in order to move on. Right? Does that make sense? Yeah. If the, let's say there's a it has to satisfy from somewhere. zero to ten yeah. understanding, and most everything we're seeing is at eight nine, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, have something happens at two. And you're like, what the hell? I don't understand this at all. Let me think about it. Let me talk about it. And you get up to six. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, all right, uh, okay, let's. We, I can accept that. Let's move on. You know. So. Yeah, oh, I think I agree with that. I, I I was just at eight nine the whole time. Anyway, I, I I didn't feel particularly perplexed or frustrated by all of it. But I can, but I but I, my mind still turned on trying to figure out what it meant or what it could mean or how it would happen. And apparently, some other people are confused or frustrated by it. Yeah. I think that the most negative thing you could say about it is still kind of positive. I think that the worst way to look at this is, well, they just wanted to feature Hodor. Mm. Cool, feature Hodor. Yeah. We love Hodor. Yeah, Hodor's great. Yeah, I don't think I think <laughs> this if wasn't they the just, feature we had in mind. But <laughs> yeah, I think if this whole episode, this whole plotline, this whole time loop was all there just so they could give Hodor a backstory, I'm cool with that, man. I want every character to have a backstory. Yeah. And especially a character that everyone seems to love, and especially such a powerful moment and an exciting moment, like. I I just think there's there's no complaint for me here. Yeah, cool. I'm I'm with you. Like I have my like again. My only complaints are pretty nitpicky overall. Yeah, I love the scene. I I don't know that I would give this a nine point eight out of ten this episode, but I would give it a very high rating. I'm very happy with it. it, it maybe not. You know, it's in line with the other episodes this season, which have all I think have all been really strong. You know, it's been maybe the strongest season other than season one and maybe even stronger because it's only halfway done we don't even know yet you know and, and a lot of people disagree with me especially book readers book readers for the most part are are not as are almost all book readers think season one was the best because it's the closest to yeah. to the books but i like season four second best okay cool. i do think i like season one best but i think season four gives a run for the moment. right on and i don't know which my favorite. i don't have a favorite season so I, I don't even go i don't even bother with that i like them all you know i, I guess if i were pinned down i would say some are better than others but it's hard to do that. Ask us on Thursday what our favorite seasons are and why. We'll talk about it then. Yeah, we'll do that. Yeah, we're... Okay, so another, I'm calling another Audible here. We're clearly not going to finish in two and a half hours because that means there's only <laughs> ten minutes left and we haven't even talked about the trailer yet. We're not even done with this brand blood everything. So I'll just say we're going to go till we're done. Probably be less than three hours. We'll see. Hours. So keep hours. we'll just keep going and we're still going to do a Thursday episode no matter what. We'll still have a lot more questions to answer by then and a lot mm-hmm. more going forward type stuff to discuss. So let's do that. So... What about the moment before? Okay, so we're talking about why were they looking. Let's dial it back. We've, we okay, keep going. Yeah. We need to go back to some of the things we started with because it took us in other directions. Because there's with so many of these moments, there's multiple things to consider, and those things take us off in other directions. So let's go back. Three Eyed Raven says it's time for you to become me. I was like, okay, and then they immediately go back into the vision. Like as soon as they know the walkers are coming, they see the the, the mark on him. You can do a pun there. It's like a brand. He's, <laughs> he's brand, right? So. What is, uh, so they immediately decide that, okay, you guys have to leave. But first, you have to become me. I have to tell you more things. And he's like, am I ready? He's like, no. <laughs> so we just got to do as much as he can. So, again, it's, it's impo- I don't have 
I don't have anything that I think is a solid theory on why he was showing him that particular scene. Although I thought it was awesome that we get to see Rickard Stark, which is you know, yeah, his father. Yeah. That was neat. But Benjamin's in that shot. Um, yeah. Obviously, Hodor's in that shot. Willis at the time. And so is, of course, Ned. And so you wonder, maybe, what in that vision? What are those characters? What can we? What is it about those characters that's meaningful to what's coming forward? Benjamin's the only thing I can settle on. And like you said, maybe and Benjamin's a missing... He's this... Missing thing is this unresolved plot line yeah. that's been out there also since season one. Just I haven't like, even written his name down in my notes. <laughs> so maybe finally we're about to see his return. I have no idea. Really, it's just been an open question for so long. But this is it. So I'll say that much. This is an opportunity to resolve Benjamin's to, being To explain why this was the scene that we were being shown. That is a thing. As I was watching the show, I was like, this is what he said. This like dire moment. And then here's the scene we're going to go to. You said that during the episode. You were like, why are you looking at this? Uh, I, I want to see who John's parents are. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's yeah, what yeah, I yeah. thought this whole thing with Bran was going to show us. So. But, uh, but yeah, I, I started to wonder if it was just, you know, Bran seeing this moment with Hodor. I was wondering, how, like you said, too, this might have been cut short. Not only might this scene have, like, gone on to show some other significant thing, it may have been a, a a montage of scenes that the Raven wanted to show Bran, and this was just the first one. And it they, there might not even have been something about to happen in this scene. This might have been setting up some other totally different scene. Mm-hmm. You know, it like, could be a lot. You need things, to know this so. so you can understand this, which is actually the really important thing. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. And if he's just trying to feed him a bunch of information, and if he doesn't think, and if he thinks he has more time, it makes sense that he would, you know have not gotten the conclusion and this just looks like what is this what is what is this beginning part yeah so yeah that part bothered me a little bit but uh, again like like a lot of things unpacking it it makes more sense or at least it makes sense to to take a step back and say well i just don't know i don't necessarily understand it but my lack of understanding is not a good reason to be critical it also uh, i want to point out not by itself there's other reasons yeah yeah uh I also want to point out it might not be done. I, I still am not clear. It's not clear to me if Bran's done with his vision. I, I mm. wonder if he might, if that might be another dilemma that's coming. Is yeah. he's stuck on in this unconscious state? I know? mean, you know that you, you're right in in talking about how, like you mentioned, you want to see more on John's parentage, mm-hmm. and it seems like they're heading in that direction. Obviously, they show the Tower of Joy. We hear that that's like that was. We Wait, had, did you say more on John's parentage? More on John's <laughs> parentage, and the. Well, the, the portrayal of Ned Stark in the play in Bravos was as a moron, right? Yeah. <laughs> no. Anyway, the... Uh, I kind of lost my train of thought there. The idea with John... Oh, yeah. The idea with John sort of like being more like his father is maybe being set up as a... Nope, he's not. He's not his father's son, though. He's Someone else is his father. Yeah, yeah. And that's maybe being set up by this whole... Sansa's, you know, made the thing for him, and he's kind of doing... These things for he's putting his family first before his duty, which is you know an undercurrent for Ned Stark as a person. You know, it always he seems like honor and duty first, but no, he's family first. He's absolutely family first. Ned is or John is. Ned is, and so is John. John is now like John left the watch after pledging to them to go after her. You know what happens with his father? He got yeah. brought back. Yeah, but, but now he tried to leave. Yeah. He tried to leave. Yeah, and that's and Ned Stark was like, I don't care about my personal honor, and then Varys is like. What about Sansa's? You know, he was like, I don't care. My life is not worth more than my honor. Like, what about Sansa? He's like, okay, I did it. He yeah. immediately turns around. He's like, okay, I did it. Joffrey's the real king. Because yeah. it was to save his like He threw it all, completely threw away his honor, threw away his everything. Like, and, he, and that's what he did. In that moment where he admitted, 
that he that he tried to usurp the throne. That's what caused those plays to be made. That directly leads to that. Because it's like, yeah, that's what he said in front of this huge crowd of people. He admitted it. Yeah, yeah, that makes So he sense. threw away his honor to save his family, and, and it worked. Sansa's alive. Yeah. Arya's alive. You know, I mean, he didn't know that it would work, but he took whatever chance he had. He just was like, I don't care about my honor. As important as it was to his, as important as it was to him, perhaps possibly his second most important thing in his entire life was his honor. It was nothing in the face of his family. It was a distant second to family. And I think John is like Ned in that regard. But maybe he's not I, Ned's son. <laughs> I do, yeah, I do remember taking note early on that, that that sort of kind of subtlety that the show presents us that I appreciate is what are the Stark words? Honor. Duty. No, that's that's Tully. Tully. Yeah, Stark is winter is coming. Stark's winter is coming. Right, right. The Tully is family, duter, duty, duty, honor. honor yeah. Right. And uh, that, that those seem like oh yeah, those are good things to be words. That's so. Those are yeah, those are values. Probably no, but I took that to be specifically family first. Then duty, then honor. And if you recall, it's not just that those those values are important to the Tollies, but it's those values in that order are what's important to the Tollies. And if you recall, that's even brought. Remember season one when Catelyn leaves and Bran, yeah. is is like, and Lewin is quizzing him. He says, you know, House Tully. What are all the different house words? And he's like House Tully. And he's like family, duty, honor. And he's like, yeah. And he's like, blah blah. blah. He's like in that order. He's yeah. like, like, what do you mean? You know, Lewin's like, what? And he's like, mother went off. You know, she's like her duty, huh, to go off. But family comes first, right? And he's yeah. like, you know, a little kid being, yeah. you know, complaining. You know. He's like, he made a good point, though. He's like, yeah, that's a good point, kid. And, Although, you, and you did see that difference. It, Ned, eventually, when it came down to it, chose family. But generally speaking, what was driving his decisions was honor first. Yes. And what was driving Caitlin's decisions was family first. She was making making bad decisions, <laughs> trying to prioritize her family. Yeah. Uh, not, Ned yeah, was they, making they, bad decisions, trying to prioritize his honor. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, and then it led to him having putting his family in danger. And then he, once he realized that, because he, he, he realized when he's sitting there in prison, he's like, "Stupid, stupid, stupid! <laughs> Why did I do this? Why you know?" It's like stubborn, foolish. Yeah, blah blah blah. He just realized what his it's mistakes all were. Fault. It's all Joffrey's fault. <laughs> I'm beginning to think you can't be trusted. That's the line from the play. <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> that was really funny. Let's collect ourselves here and gather. <laughs> Say, what What about the scene have we not discussed yet? We talked about how emotionally powerful it was. We talked about some of the... We wondered about the scene. We talked about the time, potential time paradox. What's, like you said, biggest question, though? What's next? We know that Brandon Mirror is still in danger. There's no way the White Walkers and the zombies have just given up their pursuit. They just have been bought time. It's pretty hard to predict what's going to happen, but let's assume they get out of danger. Somehow they escape. Maybe they get to the wall, you know? That seems like they won't be safe on this side of the wall at this point. I don't know if there's any refuge anywhere this side of the wall. None that I know of. They go to Craster's. No, I'm just kidding. Craster's dead. <laughs> they might still go there. Just It might still be refuge. Like, the women are still there. It's yeah. still got fire well, it was burned down. They may oh, not they be there. They burned the, yeah, whole, the whole thing right. got burnt down. Yeah. Still, though, it's not like a white walker can't just walk up there and steal a baby. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. It's been happening. So, so yeah, they so just really, walk up there and steal brand. Yeah, do you have any thoughts on where what might be next for them, other than maybe where they'll go? Will they try to get back on their side, on the right side of the wall? Maybe find John. Maybe maybe they'll. I think. I wonder that, how it can play into what's happening with the Boltons. Like, of, maybe like. I think kind of like I said before, I expect children to come to the rescue. Maybe Benjamin Stark. Yeah. And I also expect him them to be directed by more visions. I I think that he'll continue to have more visions. I agree. Of either past, present, or future. That'll steer their course. And yeah, and from there, it's just 
who knows whatever they want to do you, it's, it's like predicting where magical plot lines are going to go is pretty hard to do yeah. <laughs> so and i wonder you know what the walkers are going to do you know like we said we don't know whether is it really there's just maybe just only three of them left is that possible that just puts more of an impetus on them to make more but they don't have that means anymore maybe craster's gone there's hardly any humanity on their side of the wall even they're, they're almost all like john brought the wildling south like surely there's a few left but it's almost like they're, if you look at things from the White Walker's perspective, which is kind of hard to do, they're particularly threatened right now. You know, they're really losing their ability to maybe procreate as thin as that was in the first place, potentially. That's a whole rabbit hole. I don't even know how to address. Yeah, here's another thing, too. I, I, it's something I haven't talked about or thought about in a minute, but I there was a, a time period where I was putting a lot of mental energy into considering what the White Walker's goal was. Like, are they... Yeah, they just wanted to... Are Turn they, the whole earth into a snowstorm? Yeah. I mean, are they yeah, mindless? Are they trying to defend from humans? Are they trying to kill all humans? Are they trying to take over the world? You know, does the Night King have some sort of ambition? Does he? Are they bloodthirsty? Like, it's it's unclear what their yeah. goal or the mission is. Although I say all that, and I just realized this episode might have given us a little bit of an answer. Oh, they were birthed with the intention of destroying men. Yeah. That might be their purpose. That might be the only purpose they know. And they, they still try to procreate because that's you can't fulfill your destiny or purpose without yeah. having sufficient numbers, you know. You uh, uh, They also might, even if they have a destiny or a goal or a purpose, it doesn't mean you can't also do other things. Right. You know what I mean? You might right. still get hungry or want to ride your horse or watch a cartoon or, uh, <laughs> or chill out in the woods standing still not saying anything or uh, whatever uh, i could ask the same question like what what is humanity's goal what are we doing what yeah. are humans do what we, are we have to have a goal to do? Yeah. yeah does there have to be but, one like on a very basic level uh, it seems to be procreate you know yeah, just just yeah. keep being happy the species. you know be yeah. learn stuff do, do they are they uh, capable of happiness they're certainly capable yeah. of procreation apparently i mean we've seen they have a way it's a pretty nasty way stealing babies and converting them but but the the, the Night king seemed to be emoting on some level as he stared john down when they stale away from hard home and he yeah. raised them up he seemed to have some amount of pride or determination or something behind those eyes yeah you know, he's not just uh they, they're stoic at a minimum but I still believe they have motivations, and I'm curious about what they are and why. I agree, and there's so much to say about, you know, a, a main, a central theme of Game of Thrones is, you know, the human heart and conflict with itself, which is what George R. R. Martin says it's one of the, 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 perhaps the only thing worth writing about. And that's what I love, one of the things I love about this series is it's, it's, it is about the human heart and conflict with itself, but it's just in a fantasy setting. And they yeah. have to, they have to, re, they have to be in conflict with themselves about scenarios that we normal humans in real world don't have to deal with we don't know what it would be like if there really were dragons or really were white walkers like our worldview is totally different than what a westerosi worldview would be and it makes a it creates a new set of potential human heart conflicts to deal with it's like we don't we don't have these conflicts in the real world yet they also have conflicts that we do have in the real world but they're yeah they're combined with these things that we have no idea. And so that's and that's one of the fun things to talk about. Like, what would it be like for us 
if we had yeah. dragons yeah, was, flying around or one something. One of my favorite scenes of the season was when Tyrion was trying to make small talk with my Sunday and Grey Worm he while they were waiting on Varys. Had like, yeah, they couldn't so relate. Yeah. Uh, he, he couldn't relate to them, but I could relate to that scenario. Of not being able to I relate. can't relate to how I remember the time when I tamed a dragon. You know, like, <laughs> I remember the time when I zombies remember, killed my uncle. I remember growing but, up as a slave. I mean, yeah. But I can things, relate yeah. to the sitting in a room with two people you only kind of know, you have a different background, and you're trying to find common ground. I can relate and to And you just that. can't, and there's nothing works. You're just like, hey, what about this? And they're like, we don't understand that. And you're like, oh. I get it to work. I get it. <laughs> well, that's, I'm good. that's the power of the beard. <laughs> so... Let's see. What else do we have? We've it's we've been we've covered so much. I still feel like there's things we haven't uncovered, but we probably should start wrapping this up pretty soon. Um, what else? Do you have any other things that you didn't get to talk about? We we um, talk, we, we we perhaps haven't done a lot of talking about this episode as a whole. You know, looking at themes, com- combining the different thinking about different plot lines. We, we talk about the theme of sacrifice. We talk about the theme of destiny versus free will, which is a big one, and. We've talked about, you know, some of the underlying themes and motivations that these different sides have. Even the White Walkers necessarily don't have just this evil genius goal. Like the, the, the standard villain conquering the world thing. Maybe they just are trying to propagate their species. And, but the way they do that is destroying things. That's the or only way for them to do the it. the destiny they were born into. Absolutely. Or a little of both. Maybe, you know, it's like, it's like, there's, think about, I want to, folks out there, consider all the different sci-fi you've seen where, there's an AI being that's created, and it starts to have its own thoughts. Like, well, you know, they're built as robots, like The Matrix, or the show Humans, or there's a lot of TV shows out there where mankind creates a Frankenstein. You know, the, possibly the original version of that story, where it just isn't what we expect. You try to make something, and you want it to be an automaton, but you gave it too much life, and it starts to have its own ideas about things. I, I feel like that's where this is going, because I don't think... Game of Thrones is going to cast its ultimate villains as two-dimensional when all the other villains are three-dimensional. Yeah. I mean, even Ramsay, who some people like, we talk about Ramsay fatigue, he has dimension. Even though he is, you know, he's maybe not the most multi-dimensional character, compared to other villains in other stories, he's pretty multi-dimensional. He even, he has fears and things that he's worried about. And he had, you know, he, he didn't want to be replaced by his father. He had sensitivity towards being a bastard. You know, all these things, all these, like, real characteristics that real humans have. So I kind of feel like the White Walkers will have these things, but they'll be mystical, magical versions of these things. You know, but they'll still be, they still have to have a purpose that isn't just even the White Walkers, total domination, you know. Even the White Walkers, so far, in my opinion, are not, one, it's hard to say for sure they're evil. Uh, I, yeah. I can't, you know, they, like, they're fought evil in from a human perspective. Yeah, but, but, but let's just assume they're evil. I, they're still less evil than Ramsay and Joffrey. Not, they, <laughs> so far, we yeah. haven't seen them actively torture any people. They just like kill them, kind of cold-heartedly. They're not malicious. They're not. Yeah, it's just angry. extermination. They're not punishing. They're not vengeful. They're just going through the motions. Yeah, they're not laughing they're, about it. They don't while toy around it. with people and torture them and make them torture each other. They don't. That's a good point. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I, 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 I'd worst... rather see the White Walkers win than Ramsay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so that is a good time. That's a good segue to start wrapping up. We'll we'll go to the. Well, seems like you have something else to say. I do want to say one thing. Uh, I'm actually going to make another uh, Sunny. Also, a Sunny reference. Uh, <laughs> something I appreciate oftentimes from this show. Uh, there's there's many aspects to filmmaking, right? Yeah. It's not just dialogue or acting. All those usually drive it, but the the lighting can make a difference. Camera angle, mm-hmm. music, 
timing, mm, the music editing. In this, uh-huh. music in this episode was outstanding. The music specifically, not just this episode, but many other episodes of Game of Thrones, they choose at the end, at that moment. Last scene, black screen, credit start, music kicks in. Mm. They do a good job with that, and I think they did a good job with this one. The The sort of pacing of this episode was sort of slow toward the beginning, even though it was tense, mm. right? The confrontation between you know, Sansa and Littlefinger, for example. Yeah. But it's still relatively slow paced. But it built, built, and it was very exciting and yeah. intense toward the end. And it kind of slowed back down right at the end as Hodor kind of hold the door became Hodor with yeah. the boy on the ground. And then black screen Done. and this acoustic, kind of mellow acoustic song came in. And it, I feel like it added something to the emotion, the mm-hmm. tone of that moment. And they've done it several other times. There have been a couple times where they cut the black screen. Silence. Yes, and like when eerily. something really big happened yeah. or whatever. Uh, and they've really sometimes a jaunty music. And sometimes or, I, yeah. like a punk song that came in when Jamie's hand got cut yep, off. It they done a good job. Fair, yeah. uh, I just, by the way, just want to give It's Always Sunny credit for their, their opening skit transition to their opening music. It's just <laughs> the best in TV. Uh, and uh, the soundtrack for the show that comes on, that Silicon Valley, that comes on after Game of Thrones, if anyone out there is not watching it, I recommend it. Yeah, Silicon Valley is good. Good stuff. And sure. they always have good tracks uh, ending out their episodes. Too. And one last bit um, about the music to bring us back to Game of Thrones, that the band playing in the play was the band of Monsters and Men, real world band. Uh, mm-hmm. they're, a, they're a Nordic group. And not the first time a band has snuck into Game of Thrones. The band, um, well, now I'm forgetting their name, was uh, played in um, Joffrey's Wedding. Okay. Yeah. I'm slipping my mind. It's a well-known band that I'm just spacing out on. Anyway, you all know who I'm talking about. Or There's another band that slipped in. They didn't have a musical performance. Oh, Mastodon. Mastodon. Yeah, Mastodon yeah. snuck in as, 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 as uh, Undead, as, as Wildling, Dead Wildlings, part of a Hard Home episode. That's right. That's more our type of music anyway. Um, so let's do some acknowledgements and credits and then we'll talk about the what's coming next on episode six and a few more things that we know from the preseason trailers that apply to coming plots and things that we learned in this episode. Looks like we'll be about three hours in this episode, a whole 50% extra plus another episode on Thursday, but that's really going to be a whole season thing. It's not going to be about only about episode five. So I want to thank our usual Patreon supporters. Such as First Lord Cash Craig, who is Hand of the King, and Lord of Mines, Lord of Makers, and the Black Pupil. The name Black Pupil derives from a Euron reference, Euron's Banner, which I highly recommend you looking up. Lord Jim the Fortuitous of the Wars and Politics of Ice and Fire blog is Warden of the West. Lord George Stormsville the Cunning is Lord of Chilean, Warden of the East. Lord John Reed of Castle Woodbridge is the Lord Borealis, the Light of the North, and Warden of the North. Lady Kelly McMath of Covington is Lady of Villa Hills, Crescent Springs, Warden of the South. Rory the Rogue is Archer Extraordinaire and King Beyond the Wall. Now, he's been busy subjugating the tribes of the North, but what is up with those tribes now? They're all threatened by the White Walkers. I don't know. What's there to do? You gotta subjugate. You gotta turn that attention towards the Walkers themselves, perhaps. Hmm. Harder task. Our small council is made up of Lord James Inkblade, the Scholar Knight and Master of Whispers. Lord Robert Jacobs is the Master of Coin. Rosie the Clever is Master of Laws. Lord James Tuttle is our Master of Ships. We're soon to debut a new Grand Maester. Working on that nickname. Probably have it by Wednesday. Lady Dyerlis of Castle Naki is the Elf. Lord Dan of the Red Mountains of Castle Great Bell is Breaker of the Second Stone. Lord Skip of the Velt is Lord of Castle Ganges. 
Cabeth the Unfrozen is Lord of the Bricks and Castle Crimson Light. Mary Meg is Lady of the Bloody Stepstones. Gregor the Toasty is Lord of the Breadfort. Alicia Everlasting of the Greenblood is Lady of Desert Rose. Jeffrey the Unflinching is Lord of Sand Lake. Late Lord Greybay is of the Queen City. Lord Ryan of Castle Stonegate is Guardian of the Rocky Mountain Pass. Lord Garen de Havilland is of Devil's Hand Keep. Lord Brandon Slate is the Norse Hammer and Harbinger of Old Gods. Lady Bram is Light of Winter's Garden and Beacon of the Northwest. Lord Mark Joseph is the Snow in Winterfell. Ashlyn Winter is the Hawk's Eye and Lady of Castle Skyfall. Lady Mikkel of Moonacre is leader of the Werewood Protectorate Alliance, which is a Game of Thrones Ascent group. If you play the Game of Thrones Ascent group, uh, Ascent game on Facebook, check them out. Lady Cochon Volant is of Swine Harbor. We also have First Sword, I'm sorry, King's Justice, rather, Sir Troy the Steady, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Blade Fate. We also have a special shout-out for Sir Darnall of House Rawdarn. Of course, we have Lord Commander Dubbington, the Red Bear. And last but certainly not least, we have our Night's Watch, History of Westeros Night's Watch, commanded by Lord Commander George the Golden and First Ranger Fabian Flowers, the Bastard of Greenshield. If you want a title like that or a shout-out, we have some that are not every episode, but every few episodes. Just check us out, historyofwesteros.com. Check out the Patreon links on the right-hand sidebar. You can go there. I've added some new titles recently, new ways to get shout-outs, new ways to get episodes early, and new ways to support the show. So if you want to get in on that, like I said, historyofwesteros.com, lots of other ways to support the show there. Amazon links from multiple countries, audible.com, trials and subscriptions through Amazon as well. So pick your poison, pick your way to help. Pick your poison, that's a strange thing to say. <laughs> but in, in, in general, you can also help the show by just spreading the word. That has a very powerful, powerful effect. I'm really struggling here. Three hours apparently is my limit. I lose the ability to talk. But as I'm saying, rating us on iTunes is a great way to help out. Of course, subscribe to us on YouTube and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. We do a lot of fun things on Twitter and Facebook, getting ready for episodes, posting questions, posting polls, things like that. All good stuff. So, again, we'll be back on Thursday for a Q&A, show-only Q&A. We'll be doing a book-only Q&A at some point, but it'll be a little later in the season. And we'll have a lot of fun with both of those, so we hope you join us for that. If you don't want to be spoiled on what's coming in Episode 6 and preseason trailers, time to sign off. Valar, next time us, and we'll see you then. If you do want to stick around, well, stick around. We're, we're going to dive right in. Yeah. Okay, so the, the trailer for next week. This is where some of the potential confirmation that it, we, we don't know if it's been even not. We have no idea, but someone is showing up with what appears to be a ball and chain, flaming ball chain, riding a horse, smashing someone in the face. We saw that scene in the trailers, preceding the trailers. With that, we had no idea what it meant. That could be anything. But now we're starting to have an idea what that could be because we have Bran and Mira fleeing. And we know that they're still fleeing because we have Mira saying, I'm sorry, like, I'm sorry, like, it sounds like, it's pretty sure that's her voice anyway. Maybe I'm wrong if that's not her voice. Maybe that's somebody else. They do I that. I thought that it was her. They've done that to us before where they have a and voiceover it, uh, that, that is not over, over the right scene. Yeah. yeah. So, like, they did that with Tyrion and the, do you want to play games? Do you like to play games, little man? Yeah. In the preseason trailers that made us think they were talking about Tyrion, but really he's talking about Rickon. Which, by the way, is still to come. Ramsay doing something horrible to Rickon. So, but let's not think about that. That's, if that's in this next episode, it wasn't teased. So, that's a big deal. Bran and Mira are still on the run, and someone's going to save them, or at least 
Stark helped to save them. <laughs> so prevailing theory is it's going to be Benjen because honestly, who the hell else could it be besides children? Like you said, children of the forest is a possibility, but there's no way these these are children riding a horse, swinging a ball and chain, flaming ball and chain. So that that doesn't fit. Who she was saying sorry to? To Bran? What was she sorry for? I wonder. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like a that she's sorry that I can't save you. I, yeah, yeah. I don't know. That is a that's kind of an odd sorry thing to say. Sorry that Hodor is dead, but. I don't feel any of that was her responsibility. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe she's sorry for getting him mixed up in all this or something. I don't know. But. Yeah, you're right. I think there must be more to it. There must be something that we're missing that just because we don't know. We haven't found out yet. But there's good reason to suspect that there's more to it, like you say. That that makes me think that there's some sort of extra plot point that's going to come up that matters a lot. Um, so we'll have to see. Um, as far as other aspects... Looks like we're going to be back to King's Landing to see some more progress slash resolution with the whole High Sparrow, Marjorie, Loras, Tommen, Cersei, all that business. The one thing that's maybe slightly spoilery there, and it goes against some of the things that I was suggesting, we think... I'm, I was pretty adamant that I think there's some sort of trick by the High Sparrow rather than a trick by Cersei. Frankly, the trailer doesn't shed any light on that. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't really... really doesn't really clear it up. It's still possible. One thing that's a slight uh, detriment or dent in my theory that the High Sparrow is setting them up is that Marjorie is seen on the steps. Yeah. I thought maybe that was not going to happen. I thought maybe he was lying about Marjorie doing the walk. So he was setting them up. But Marjorie's clearly seen on the steps there. Tyrell army allayed before them and Jamie's with them. Which means that this may be not some sort of Lannister trick to get the Tyrells fighting the faith, which would be... You know, they get to stand back while that plays out and, and, you know, pick up the win at the end there. So I don't know. I don't know. But it seems like Jamie's presence there means that the Lannisters will be blamed for whatever happens. Yeah. Even if the Tyrells take the bulk of the blame, the Lannisters won't be scot-free. Their hands won't be clean. So I'm not sure that the plan, that Cersei's plan to make the Tyrell, that theory that people have that Cersei is going to be Cersei setting up the Tyrells. I'm not sure if that works. I think it still might work. But I'm not sure if either of these things work. It might be, we might have been just looking too deep. It might be, this is, you know, the High Sparrow's just gotten ahead of himself. He's got a big head. He went from nothing to something. And he's thinking he can get away with doing all these things, but not not considering that they will use violence against him. Because he, he already kind of like shrugged it off when Jamie threatened him. Maybe he thinks that he can just keep doing that. Maybe he thinks that they won't, you know, that that's going too far. That he's untouchable because if someone kills him, the Sparrows will rise up. So he thinks, uh, I don't know. What do you think? What Do you, do you think the, that maybe it's still a wait and see? Or maybe we should have just been, been I, less uh, conspiratorial and just looked at what was on the screen. I will there. say I still do believe that the Sparrow anticipated, you know, whether he has a plan or not. Because I, 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 this is the thing I thought about. Just do what he's going to do anyway. They yeah. can show up with their armies and be like, here's Marjorie. I told you I was going to give you Marjorie. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. what are you What's all this about? <laughs> you know, like, he doesn't, I don't even know how much he has to change. I did also start to consider that this threat, this reason at least that Tommen has been given why he can't storm, which Cersei was giving him in the past because she wanted Marjorie and Loras to be locked up, right? Yeah. She got locked up herself. But it, in the past, she was saying, oh, you can't just storm him because he'll kill off. You know who'd be the first casualty, you know? And mm -hmm. Tom's like, oh, I guess I can't attack. I don't think he would do that. I don't think he would just kill the prisoners like that. Yeah, I don't think so either. Uh, so I, I'm kind of reevaluating it for why they can or can't just charge in there with force, uh, and if for whether the the sparrow will just be like, oh, okay, 
Take them. I don't want violence. Don't Maybe. spill blood in here. You can have your prisoners. I mean, we still have to have a trial. The people might not be happy about this, but I'm not going to fight you on it. it. I think it comes back to the one thing that, that he still, the ace in his, up his sleeve, so to speak, might still be Loris. If he can say, look, if you stop this from happening, Loris dies. Which I would, don't which think would, he will. I don't, think he's I don't know that he will either. That doesn't necessarily seem like the kind of thing he would I do. I think it's more likely that he's going to present Loris as on his side. Loris and Lancel standing side by side in oh, robes. Wow, that would be something, wouldn't it? Yeah. I don't think I, I, it might be a bluff. I'm not saying he may, wouldn't necessarily go through it, although if he was fu- pushed hard enough, he might have to. But that wouldn't stop Cersei. But it would stop Mace, and yeah. it would stop Olena, yeah. and it would, might stop all the Tyrells. They like they're trying to stop Marjorie's embarrassment. But if stopping Marjorie's embarrassment means well, it's more than embarrassment is putting it lightly. Let's yeah. say, but if it means ta- Loras's death, they might be like, let her walk. Loras dies. Yeah, that's a tough choice. <laughs> yeah. I don't think they would let because because Loris is the heir to Highgarden. There's nobody else. They don't have. An, I mean, maybe there's a cousin out there. Maybe in the books, there's multiple. There's other kids. There's other sons. But this whole situation is different in the books anyway. So I mean, uh, in a way that I won't they detail. They may, may not have the other right. family members in the show. They do in a book. It's they past, reference them, It may end so. up playing out similar in the books. I don't know because this is plotline is sort of parallel but sort of past, and it's a, it's sort of a little bit of both. Um. So, uh, yeah, I just can't say. I don't know. It's not that I can't say because I don't want to give away what's in the books. I just don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I kind of, uh, my default is I don't think that he'll kill the prisoners as leverage. Uh, and I also think that what he can just let Marjorie go and the Tyrell soldiers can just protect her from the embarrassment. They could just scoop her up, surround her, take her home. You know what I mean? Yeah. So she doesn't get paraded naked through the street having stuff thrown at her. They can just, like, secure her. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, that, that, that's kind of what I'm thinking is going to happen. That A, he'll just let Marjorie go. You don't need all these soldiers. Do what you will. We're still going to have a trial. And by the way, uh, here's your son. I, you know what? I'll let him go, too. And mm. Loras will step out and say, I'm going to stay here. And he'll be in brown robes and a little scar on his forehead. <laughs> and he just won't go. That'd be something. Now, Cersei still has her trial coming, too. So there's exactly. that. That's the, yeah. yeah, so that's now the that's other gonna thing. Now that's going to go who the... To the the champion will be it will be a way for the sparrow to choose loris as a champion because that's something i was constantly thinking about is who would the champion of assuming they're not going to go to a trial with lawyers like Tyrion did it's going to go yeah. to trial by combat and so i was assuming that it would be you know that cersei can call on the mountain but who's the sparrow going to call on going to call on loris loris is certainly and loris known. won't need to call on anyone he was not going to have a trial he confessed he's one of us now no trial for, for loris Thematically, Marjorie, it sets up a rematch, too. That's Remember, they had their whole hubbub to do That's in the right. tournament. That's right. The first season, episode like four. When, when he kind of manipulated it Loris with the horse cheated. being in heat. He cheated a and bit. And the mountain yeah. chopped his own horse's head off. And yeah. then the, the hound came in to, to protect him. And Robert stopped it all. Yeah. Yeah, we could have Loris and the mountain could get a match, a rematch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now we just need the... And they'll uh, both be reborn. Yes, isn't that yeah. nice? That would be a really tidy Can't way to come back Can't believe they come up with all this before. Right? <laughs> this is why it's so hard to do this within, you know, less than 24 yeah. hours later. But there's still so much we can come up. That's all we need to do Thursday. Yeah, you for, guys, actually, this extra me. hour that you guys are getting, we still have this talk. It's not, we just stop after two hours to <laughs> upload the video, but I keep, I go to work and talk to people. I've got people <laughs> on my phone. I got me and Aziz. We're still Shea. We're still contemplating stuff. It's cool this extra hour to like kind of get these afterthoughts out. Yeah, on podcast. it's 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 almost a, it's almost like a, a, a whew that the trailer for next week had less to reveal than normal. 
Because I think it did. It was a little tighter and less like it, it showed things that we kind of already expected. It showed Brandon yeah. Mirror running away still, yeah. which is not spoilery. That's like, oh, we knew that was probably coming anyway. I mean, maybe they get away and, and then we're yada yada past to a later point. But going to just coming back to them running away makes sense. It makes sense that they'd still be fleeing. And it makes sense that we would see this stuff with the Tyrells and the Lannisters and the, and the High Sparrow coming next. But again, the trailer wasn't very revealing. And so we're just, you know, we're kind of left where we were. We don't, we didn't learn a lot from it. Um, one, one quick thing I'll say is that, uh, there's been a slight shift in a past episode or two. Yeah. Uh, this season in general, I think, has had a shift from how episodes have gone in the past. Yeah. And obviously there's a million variation. But typically, and I'm slightly making these numbers up, but the idea is that typically I think there's six-ish storylines going on, and each episode we hit up four. Does that make sense? And yeah. there's usually a couple that are left off, and every episode they kind of rotate between, right? But this season, in the beginning, every character, every storyline was being touched on. And sometimes there's only time for like one, two-minute scene, but yeah. we're hitting up it. We got a little Arya, we got a little Danny, we got a little bit of everyone. This episode kind of left some people off. No King's Landing. Uh, and so the trailers before, uh, the trailers at this point are kind of letting us know now which storyline we'll be getting to, but they're not revealing very much about them. Yeah, Does that make yeah. sense? Now, I want to circle back before I forget. I almost did forget to talk about what I meant about Yara and what we what we know potentially about where she's going. Oh, yes. There's a right. preseason right. trailer that shows Yara making out with a, another woman and that other woman has face tattoos and the only the only and it's the specific face tattoo and the place we've seen those face tattoos is Volantis which is where Tyrion passed through mm -hmm. where where Jorah the long bridge him. where the other red priestess saw them and, yep. and that Kinvar point I was like you were looking at the long bridge blah blah and there Tyrion's like whoa shit how did she know that yeah and then she spilled the beans on other things that she that's even less likely for her to know yeah <laughs> and so so that means I do think she's stealing Euron's plan. Euron's idea. So because because that's clearly on the way to Slaver's Bay as well. That's all you know. They're going. Yeah. So I think she's heading there to take over. Like Euron, they both have the same plan to build the ships, and 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 Euron is like, yeah, that's what I was going to do, but I'm going to do it better. And Asha, Yara's like, I almost did it again. Yara's like, that's a good idea, actually. Go meet up with Daener Daenerys Tar. Who? What was her name again? Daenerys Targaryen. She has dragons. Yeah, let's go there. That's yeah. a good idea. Yeah. So I think that's I think that's what's probably happening. Um, and there's, there's reasons to think that from other, for other, other reasons as well. But that's, that's all we need. That just almost proves it right there. Yeah. So the, the trailer like showed us four, that we're going to see four things. Yeah. We, we got King's Landing, we got Mira and Bran, we got, uh, Danny, and we got Sammy Gillett. Yeah. And the Sammy, uh, the Sam thing was, or the, the Danny thing was like, didn't tell us just anything. Just a flat. Right. All we know is we're going to see her in the next episode. Dario yeah. says, you're a conqueror. She says, I take what is mine. Well, we've heard Danny say, I take what is mine a million times. We don't yeah. necessarily know what that means. Although she could be saying, I'm not a conqueror. I have a right to this. Which is kind of still a little bit of her, you know, I, I love Danny, but like she has this like, I deserve this kind of attitude. Yeah. Which, which puts off some people. Like some people really don't like Danny and I think yeah. that attitude is part of it. And you know, that doesn't, I don't like that part of her, but I think it's a compelling part of her character and I like it and I think it fits realistically because of who she is. Not just who she is, even more specifically, right? Her brother. She's been told her whole life, you're going to be the queen. We're going to get the throne back. We're the ones with the blood. Yeah. We're the blood she, of the dragon. She birthed was, dragon. She's immune to fire. Like she is yeah. special. It was <laughs> driven into her mind. Yeah. And then she has witnessed herself, you know, be worthy. So yeah, it's funny because some people, some of the people who don't like Danny 
like hate the magical stuff that's attributed to her because then it just has to it's it, well she like, is special justifies it just kind of justifies attitude, her she, yeah, yeah it's like well she is a bit kind of above humanity in a sense because she's more powerful and more you know i still think you can be demigod special and not be arrogant about it i agree and she doesn't seem too arrogant when she gets mad she becomes arrogant and domineering and imperious yeah. uh, when she loses her temper and she's got that temper but when she's calm she makes generally makes good decisions based on what intro she has. She's often not had nearly enough info to make good decisions. Yeah. yeah. And she's also not, only recently had good advisors. She's mostly been surrounded by guys who were fighters. And fighters can only advise you on, well, fighting, for yeah. the most part. Uh, like Barristan, Grey Worm, and all these guys, they're, they're not good at these other things. It took Tyrion and Varys to come along to, to teach her some things. And she's learning on her own. She's obviously a natural at it. They haven't had a chance to teach her imperfect. much. That's true. She was gone pretty much right away. Took off pretty quick. They, they, the opportunity was there, but it's lo- it was it was yeah. lost because she left. <laughs> so instead, they're just running things for her and in her name. So far, so good. For now, for, for now, now, best they can for get. For now, yeah. So I do want to explain one reason. You mentioned our two, our episodes are normally two hours, since we're spending all this extra time. I could point out why we only want to have episodes be about two hours. The reason to keep them under two hours is that we upload, we're recording this episode directly to YouTube. If we didn't, it would take literally like 12 hours to upload because it's so long. And it's not just the upload, it takes, it has to be encoded. So we were, there's no way for us to get an episode out on Monday unless we record it on Sunday, unless we do this direct to YouTube recording. Which means, it, and in YouTube, most of you won't know this because you aren't YouTubers yourselves or you don't try, and even if you are, you maybe you haven't tried to make a two hour long video. Mm-hmm. Because most YouTube videos are not that long. But YouTube does not allow you to edit an uploaded video that's more than two hours long. It's just that simple. You can't edit it. So we keep our episodes under two hours long generally because we want the ability to edit it in case we screw up and say something we shouldn't say or whatever. And usually we don't have to do that. Very rarely do we actually have to edit it, but we need to have that just in case. So this episode, we just kind of were like, well, hopefully we don't say anything don't we shouldn't say. Up. Just don't screw yeah. up. So we... <laughs> A little, a little risky here, yeah. Hmm, not really. But fun times. So it looks like we're also shown here, as we're watching this on our end, we get to see roughly how many people are tuned into this. So I'm I'm really pleased. So many so many of you stuck with us, apparently, for this whole three hours or most of the three hours. So props to you all. You're the real MVPs. And I do think that's about it. I think we we're I think we've talked it all out. Well anything we missed, we'll cover Thursday. We'll be back by then. When we'll have gathered up, gathered our thoughts, figured out a few things, maybe have, maybe we'll have some different attitudes on a few things as we think about them more. And we will certainly consider a lot of you all's questions. So send us more emails, send us tweets, send us messages on Facebook. I will put all that together, take the best questions, and we will answer those. I'll open up the, I'll open up the Q and A function for Thursday's episode, and we'll spread that around so people know it's coming. So. On behalf of Sean, on behalf of everyone else, Valar Long Episodus, Valar uh, Werewoodus, Valar Fireburnus. All men must woodus. Valar, Valar Hype Gullus. One of our uh, supporters suggested that one. I like that. Valar Hype Gullus. Valar Hype Gullus. What's Hype Gullus? Oh, Hype. hype. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Believe the hype. Okay, everybody. It's been a long, fun episode. Thanks for sticking with us. And thanks for. Oh, well, that's it. This thanks for sticking with us. I'm so tired now. I can't even uh, get these thoughts out. But we don't I, even know what we're thinking. I am. For. I am. This is this is a happy tired. I. I yeah. was. This was a great episode. Great recording. Great discussion. 
and but it's really left me kind of exhausted. I'm so. looking forward to Thursday. I'm looking forward to addressing some specific questions. Yeah, and we did not get to everything. And yeah, we did not get to everything. We got to a lot of it, but it's just whew, so much to do. So awesome. This season is great. I mean, I was anxious about it because season five. I didn't think season five was that great. And you know, and I'm, like I said, I generally have anxiety about endings to shows and stuff because it's so hard to do right. There's so many shows have failed to deliver a good ending. Yeah. So many shows have delivered bad endings. You know, let alone just mediocre endings. And so I'm really nervous. As much emotion as I have tied up into Game of Thrones, I just really am worried that the ending won't be good. And this is really calmed my nerves a bit because this season has been really strong, even in the things I'm critical of. The mo- things I'm most critical of still were balanced out by like having strong emotion. Like if, even if we complain about the time travel paradox, it was so emotionally powerful. The yeah. music and Hodor yelling and everything. It was like, man, screw my nitpicking. That was awesome. Yeah. Like, that's kind of my attitude. Like I, 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 it's not. It's fair to nitpick, but it's you know. Bottom line, I loved it. Question for Thursday: Favorite time travel movies. Oh, okay. Let's talk about that. Well, I already know what my favorite one is, but after that, number two might be hard to pick. Well, right. This one, this is a good one, but <laughs> this is one your here. Primer. Right. Yeah, primer, definitely. Ah, spoiler! We'll talk about it more. Yeah. <laughs> okay, folks, Valar everything is... Um, I'm, I can't seem to end this episode because I'm just so spaced out over talking for so long. But here we go. We're done. Thanks, everybody. See you Thursday. Maybe see you Wednesday if you're a book reader also. Definitely see you next Monday either way. Adios. Bye-bye.